What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Track 25, The Rivalry. I am your host, The Rook, host of the Track Podcast, followed by the analyst and the medical guy. We got a good three-way rolling here, so we got a good little rundown slate of the NFL Week 13 recap, Week 14. Yeah, just make sure you guys are paying attention down there. Yeah, um, okay, if it's in a three-way, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Lonely Island, record yeah. of the week. But, all right. <laughs> To set the record straight, we want to start, you know, per usual with our shadow of the script. But before we get into that, we wanted to talk about what we're going to be doing for December. You know, happy Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. You know, we got a bunch of fun things we're going to do. Like today, we're starting with our track ranking. We're going to do our top three Christmas songs. Next week, we're going to do our top three Christmas movies. The following week, we're going to do our top three Christmas activities, Christmas alcohol, and then we'll follow it up by the, the story of Jesus maybe on December 25th with my family. Um, but, I'll be there. But, yeah, yeah. And you're there sitting. Everyone's there. The whole crew's there. Um, I don't know if I get to read anymore. I guess when you turn a certain age, it's like, nah. Hey, yeah, we got yeah. it figured out. He can read. So no, our grants, grants will yeah. automatically fill in Ryan. And after everybody told him not to fill in Ryan last Christmas. So now yeah. Him. Or they'll or they'll do that and be like, hey Ryan, um, you've actually got the the whole book of whatever. Um, yeah. Today. So you've got the whole book and the chapter or the next book after it. So good luck. Yeah. Here you go. Oh. Yeah. Here you go, you Aggie. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but all right. So we got a different slate for everybody today. It's not the typical recap predictions sort of gig. We're going to start off, of course, with the shadow of the script, like I mentioned before. Get into that two-minute drill. But we're going to talk a lot about the college football playoffs, the committee's decision, our predictions of who want, who's going to win the national championship. Did they make the right decision, like I said? And then we're going to go into an exclusive game recap of the 49ers-Eagles, move quickly into our uh, predictions for just one game is the AFC Gunslinger shootout, you know, Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, and, of course, tracking the boys' segment track rankings and we'll close this bad boy out with coaches of the year candidates and MVP favorites. So we got a bunch of new topics on the, on the go for you guys, but to start things off, we're going to go with shady McCoy on speak saying that Dak has to play like ass, ass, ass in order to be good. So (laughs) let's get it rolling. Let down by his team. Remember, the Seahawks didn't punt either. So the Cowboys' defense didn't do their part. Didn't that do enough yesterday? That's a great question. And I'm going to say no, he didn't, right? Because Ooh. I'm going to tell you why. I'm listening. As a, as, a, as a unit, yeah. What about when he's, you're the one that's blamed? I just gave you an example of Deron Bland, him, him getting picked on him messing up. So we need to see Dak Missouri throw a pick. We need to see that. Fumble, fumble, what happens? We need to see that. How do you respond? Because normally when I see him respond, it ain't responding like that. They ain't responding with a whole three, four hundred, uh, four touchdowns. They ain't, they ain't that. So that's what I want to see. When you ask me about when things are going bad, I'm not talking about just the offense, right? Because you can pick, you can point that. Hey, yeah, CD dropped that. Hey, Cole, hold on, coach. He missed that block. Oh, coach. He, I put it in his hands. He dropped it. I want to see when he messes up, how he responds. And every Dallas Cowboy fan, I don't care who you are, because deep inside, you know what I'm talking about. You know them games, right? You're supposed to win. It's a good game. It's a good team. And Dak starts slipping a little bit with the, you know, with the plays, with the picks. You like oh, here it goes again. When that happens, I want him to respond. Not I hey, ain't here it go again. Yeah, but you got you got to give some credit to him not letting that but stuff happen. No shady. I, I didn't give him credit. What you want me to say about the dude? I just said he played balling out. I know, but it's always a but, but, but. Yeah, well that's you know, what, you know what, what, what that's football. Like, listen. dude is. 
Hey, Jared, I think you're on mute, brother. You're on mute, brother. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Sorry. <laughs> new technology in the new house. I'm all over the place. I'm amped you're up just, on actually, fuel. You were going uh, at you were, it. Psych, you were, uh, you were speechless by that. Yeah, I was hey. speechless. And I was saying there's always a but, but, but with, you know, with LaShawn McCoy. And what's funny is when he talks about his MVP candidates later on that same week, he starts talking about non-quarterback MVP candidates that should be leading the charge after that piss poor performance by Jalen Hurts on Sunday, which the same shit happened to Dak Prescott versus the 49ers. But I think it's real funny that when Dak impresses, he has to play bad in order for him to play, to be good. He has to basically get shit on and then him go in the press conference go, you know what? That's on me. And as far as I know, when I've watched Dak Prescott, I don't know, I think eight years now, he's always been the one to accept responsibility first. And that new video that just came out on NFL Films talking about, hey, guys, you know, I need more out of you. I didn't do my best on that. Or, you know, not that I didn't do my best, but, hey, I struggled on that last one, too. I'm tired, too, but I'm going to push it with y'all if y'all push it with me. Um, You know, that's the kind of quarterback Dak Prescott is. But what is y'all's – Brian, what is your shadow of the script moment here with uh, Shady McCoy? I just think it's funny while he's, like, talking about how Dak needs to – or, like, how he's screwing up or, like, we want to see him screw up. His stat line on the bottom is last five games, you know, 1,600 yards, 16 touchdowns, and one interception. And he's like, I need to see Dak screw up. And it's like, well, uh, this year he's not doing that that much. In fact, you're, you're a quarterback that you're always praising that looks just as bad against the team that made Dak look bad too. He looked awful as well. So it's like when you watch Dak, how he's been playing the last couple of weeks, it's it's just the constant moving of goalposts that is just it's it becomes crazy when you just talk about a Dallas Cowboys quarterback. The movement of goalposts and then the picking up of excuses for everybody else just drives me nuts. You know, it's like, oh, his defense didn't his defense gave up 35 points and we had 41, and all of it was because Dak had four touchdowns all of a sudden. You know, Dak needs to screw up. But last year, we were talking about how Dak screwed up too much. So yeah, what, exactly. what's, what do you want from the guy? You want there to throw isn't. 17 interceptions? Like, he's, he's balling out right now. Just give him his credit. Give him, give him his flowers. And then the medical guy, your shout of the script statements. Yeah, no, I agree with both of y'all. And, and the goalpost thing is becoming extremely evident as he's been playing so lights out here lately. Um, but I mean, if we look at a season in a whole, if you want to talk about like things not necessarily going correct, I mean, the first what five games, four games, like when things weren't going correct, he was still playing okay and still managing to get wins outside of what two games really. And yeah. then, I mean, if you like Ryan brought up the point about in the two games where the defense played an actual competent offense, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't play very well. And what happened? Dak stepped up. And so I don't, I don't, there's not any basis or any weight behind what he's saying. It just seems like he's, I mean, it's that hater mentality. It just seems like you're fine trying to find something and just reaching for just loose ends that aren't there. And so to me, it just, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's kind of like when we send in our, our group text, our, our, our Twitter chats or X chats or whatever, it's like, uh, Hey, if you just need, if you just need clicks, just, just say it like, because That's what it that's what it's starting to look like. It's like a dude goes out there and literally wins a game. You know, running game is minimal, you know, run blocking is minimal. 
uh, wide receiver separation uh, percentage of the Cowboys is bottom 10. Um, defense, when they play good game, play good teams, doesn't necessarily show up uh, the whole game. And so, like, he's essentially almost having to play perfect. And so when you say, like, oh, I need to see him when the stars aren't aligned, when everything isn't going well, I mean, when you score 21 points and a half and you're losing, that doesn't seem like everything's going right. Uh, and, I mean, there were three or four different drops in that game. That also could have happened. Those aren't going right. Because if you look at it, Dak could have had like a – I mean, even on the Cavante Turpin play where he jumped up and made that crazy catch, if you watch the film, Michael Gallup was standing there wide open on a comeback route in the end zone. And so it's just certain things like that. CeeDee Lamb missing that one absolute missile that Dak threw. Yeah. I mean, that could have easily right. been a six-touchdown game. And it's like – what it, it just it's very nitpicky very cherry picking stats you know or or moments and stuff that seem to come with not only that program but especially LaShawn McCoy talking about it like uh it, it just doesn't make sense and and it's really hard to hold any type of weight with what he says when he talks about Dak and the Cowboys so it, it just doesn't make much sense to me and and it's it's frustrating a little bit yeah no 100% and i think it's funny that you mentioned you know not like things not going right or whatever for the defense and <laughs> you see them score 35 points the game before the day before this this show was aired um on the the speak show was aired and they start saying i want to see him when things aren't going right and it's like Oops. they scored 40 points you want to play defense too or you know where <laughs> are those points coming from you want to um, man down dk metcalf as well or? yeah you want yeah. to go out there and you know try and man up on uh zach charbonnet over the linebacker and yeah it's like when we say we joke and we're like be better Dak. it's like yeah <laughs> it's, be better, like, it's like come on be better throw it better like come on exactly <laughs> all right time for the two minute drill presented to you by the medical guy we've got injury updates every week plus exclusive video analysis of high prioritized injuries just like the <laughs> banner says and then to follow we'll have the db list but the medical guy take it away Perfect. We'll get into a two-minute drill real quick. I'll go through these injuries, and then we'll go over a like, – like the Rook said, we'll go over a little uh, injury analysis video. Um, first, we're going to start off. Marquise Bell had to be removed from the last game with a heel injury. Um, that's kind of one of the other – one of the two weapons that are on that offense. Uh, A.J. Terrell, concussion out for the Fal- – or questionable for the Falcons. Amari Cooper, concussion as well, and he's also coming off that rib injury. Uh, Christian Watson, as we saw in the last game with the Packers, kind of pulled up on the last play. They said it was a hamstring injury. I, I didn't read if it was the same one from earlier in the season, uh, but for those explosive and fast twitch guys, special receivers, uh, just kind of keep an eye on that. Uh, one big one uh, was Tank Dell, the fibula fracture. I would have done the video analysis over this, but you really couldn't get a good video of it. However, it, it comes to question why the hell was someone who's 5'7 and 160 pounds uh, in the middle of a scrum on a run play, um, especially since they're so, you know, he's so key to that offense. Uh, but he had fibular fracture, had to have surgery on it as well. Uh, Trevor Lawrence with an ankle sprain, we saw that. I don't imagine he'll miss much time, if any. Uh, Christian Kurt with the quote-unquote groin injury. Um, they said that he did end up having to have, he's going to have to have a surgery to fix some type of core injury. So look more at at sort of like a hernia or something like that. 
Um, but it definitely, uh, any guy that sees that knows exactly what happened and it didn't feel great. Um, and unfortunately he wasn't just able to shake that one off. Uh, Buka Nakua, um, had an AC joint spray. They're expecting him spraying. They're expecting him not to miss too much time. Hopefully not for my fantasy sake. And hopefully he comes back and, and puts up a game like he did last week. And I actually put him in my lineup. So, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. He's high ankle sprain. Uh, he'll be questionable and whatnot. Uh, so get ready for all you uh, Ezekiel Elliott haters because he's about to be in the game. Run yeah, get ready for tomorrow on the waivers. Yes. And then Derek Carr, shoulder and concussion injury. So he's highly questionable. Um, a good update about the injury analysis is Dallas Goddard is looking to return from that forearm fracture. It could be this week, could be next week. But that's a big get for the Philadelphia Eagles and a lot of, a lot of fantasy teams. Um, next, Kenny Pickett, he had a high ankle sprain. He actually had to have the tightrope surgery, um, which is what Tua had his last two years at uh, Alabama, where basically kind of sounds like it seems they go in, they have the surgery, that syndesmotic tissue between the tibia and the fibula and whatnot kind of going higher, like lower leg, I guess, higher ankle, which is why they term it high ankle sprain. They basically go in and they take essentially a rope-ish material and tighten that area up. Uh, next is Derrick Henry. He had a concussion, so keep a watch out for him. Uh, and then last but not least, and it may not be the most uh, crucial uh, person in the game or whatnot, but Nick Piazza, okay? Um, he was the sideline <laughs> ref or chain game. Um, oh, we're going to yeah. his video analysis um, and, and show oh, his injury because it's brutal. pretty brutal. And it just sucks that 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 happened to him. Are we leading um, into our our DB list here? Or? No, 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 not yet. Okay. <laughs> and so we'll go. We'll, this this video is brought to you by JPA Football. Okay, we'll get it and we'll share that. And then good to go. Full screen. Okay. So if you kind of look, oh no, play yeah, the sound. On. Okay, hold on. Okay, let's go here. Okay. Sound. Sorry. There we okay. go. So I have it slowed down, but if you see Alan Kamara crashing the guy in the yellow striped shirt, and you'll see. Oh, <sighs> all right, boys. The leg slash knee is not supposed to go that way. And <laughs> no. someone that could end up on the DB list in other circumstances, if we didn't have as many as we already did, is Alan Kamara. Because normally you get up and you're like, hey, want to help a dog out? Hey, you doing all right? He looks down. He's like, oh, shit. I can't help him. Um, so it kind of just turns away. Um, but, yeah. Oh, going dude. Into that, agonizing. Yeah. And, and going into that injury, Jeez. so what What he had is it's similar like what Nick Chubb, Nick Chubb had earlier in the season. Okay, He had a knee dislocation. And what I'm seeing is a fibular fracture as well. Okay, So I know there's a lot of reports coming out about how like uh, basically with that injury is making sure all the vascular structures and the blood supply structures are okay. Um, I know a few years ago, the tight end from Pittsburgh Steelers, Heath Miller had kind of the same injury. And so if some of those are compromised or not caught quick enough, you know, it could get as, as intense as, you know, loss of limb, drop foot, stuff like that, that where you don't, you know, it ends up having further repercussions and further consequences than just you know ligamentous damage and so getting the report to hear that that was uh that, that he had all that back was great i know it's not a player necessarily but that's probably one of the more 
gruesome injuries we've seen from like the sideline. You know, usually they get hit and fall over and, you know, stuff like that. And like, you know, superficial injuries, but seeing that, that's pretty bad. And, you know, that's going to be, especially for, it seemed like someone who might've been a little older, that's going to be a pretty gruesome recovery process. Um, it's not going to be your six month thing, like, <clears throat> like Nick Chubb or anything like that. He's probably going to be out to especially be able to do that for at least probably a year and whatnot. So, you know, thoughts, oh, T's and P's, thoughts and prayers going out to him. Yeah. But, but that, that's just crazy to see stuff like that and to get video capture of that injury. Um, so that, that was crazy there. And hopefully, hopefully he recovers pretty quick and whatnot, but leading in to the little less gruesome topic, maybe depending on what you think about them is we have the DB list, the down bad list. And I actually <laughs> have, yeah. I have three candidates for this. And one I'm going to take from, uh, or was suggested by, uh, the analyst, Brian May. Absolutely. Okay. Jalen Carter. <laughs> We're we're over there getting our ass stomped and you're crying. And it's like, dog, you too big of a dude to be like leave it like wait till the locker room, man. Like get in the locker room and cry. You got Nick Sirianni coming up and being like, Hey dog, what's up, man? It's like you're in the NFL game. It's like save it, dude. And it just not, Hey not Bubba, you're making millions. Yeah, it's okay. Not to say anything about him, but like that that looked pretty soft and then for him to go on Twitter and, and say whatever he did and, and whatnot, it was just, it was a very down bad look. And so that was one of them. Uh, my next one is going to be Florida state university. Um, they're on the down bad list, not because of yes. their own doing, but what the college football committee did um, who I also have on the down bad list. Um, yeah. So it's just tough to see. It was really what was tough and could get and really qualify them for the down bad list is, when you had the ESPN camera crew in there, like filming Florida State with the coach and all their players, and it's like number four, Alabama, and you just see Coach Nor, uh, was it Mike Norvell or whatever? He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like no emotion, and I'm just like, yo, like don't don't put the camera on them. Like it, when they don't get announced, you got to be like, Hey, turn that shit off. Turn it. Turn it, turn it. <laughs> and so, and cut. yeah. So those are my three down bad list candidates. We got Florida state university, Jalen Carter crying on the sideline. And then just us as college football fans having to deal with the playoff committee. I'd like to add one more of my own. If that's all right with you, then we got, I have hashtag Prez Jamal Adams. Oh the- Yeah. <laughs> who who came out and was like <laughs> went after somebody's wife about her being ugly or whatever and said <laughs> uh like what was what was the actual comment? It was something like you're kidding or something like that. He said, oh, he said sheesh. It was like yeah, sheesh. sheesh or yikes, yikes. Yikes, yeah. there we go. And he was like, Yikes, hashtag prez. I was like, bro. <laughs> that was, yeah, after that was the a, game yeah. you just had. That's, that's yeah, terrible. It, Jamal. No a, one even gives a shit here in the NFL anymore. Oh like, yeah, and what's nuts is I didn't realize Jamal Adams is only he's only twenty eight years old. I thought he was much older than that. Well, he's but basically like, put himself out of the league because he can't cover anymore and he can't catch a ball. So he's yeah. like a safety that's basically having to fill in for Bobby Wagner, who's also like killing the Seahawks because he's old. So it's like yeah. the, the Seahawks are like trying to still live out of the, you know the. 
whatever you call that defense. I just lost my train of thought. What was the name of that defense? Uh, Legion of Boom. Legion. Yeah. They were they were trying to live in the Legion of Boom days. They got a bunch of old heads out there that still think they're good, but they're not. So. Yeah, and that, that's just that that tweet made him look worse than what he thought it made the other guy look. He was like, "Oh, oh yeah, this guy." And it's like, "No, brother, you look bad." Like, yeah. <laughs> like you well, you look like a tool. Yeah. On a quick note, and then we can transition to college football. Mm -hmm. One for Jalen Carter, he said, you know, to that guy on, or he posted on a story. He was like, yeah, you know, you only need to get your life right. I'm pretty sure that dude had a warrant for his arrest a couple months ago. Still does. Still does. Yeah. Criminal. Get him off the field. And then number two, uh, somebody called Mike Ross. Yeah. Good thing. (laughs) The Cowboys did not pick up Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams because they are yeah. both now boo-boo. So. Apparently so, and this is the last thing I'll say when we're in college football. We just love the NFL so much. Uh, <laughs> is Darius Shaq Leonard can't cover either. Yeah. Um, and that's according to Marcus Mosher, which – Yeah, that was a big case, nice then, miss for Dallas. Yeah. You know, there wouldn't be much of a difference with LVE and Shaq Leonard. But. Well, you're putting them on a, on a team that also can't cover. So it fits perfect. <laughs> Fits yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fits Ryan fits perfect. Yeah. All right, here we go. The college football playoffs. There was a there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, we're gonna go over if you agree with the committee decision, but if you guys aren't aware, the college football playoff consists of four teams. I think within the next two years they're gonna switch it to eight or twelve. I can't remember what the exact number is. Um, but of course, you got number four, Alabama, number three, the University of Texas, number two, the University of Washington, and number one, Michigan. Um, of course, so Alabama went 11 and one. Their only loss was to Texas. Texas went 11 and one, winning the Big 12 championship. Alabama won their SEC championship um, with them beating Alabama, but losing to Oklahoma. It gets all complicated. I'll just stick with me here. Washington goes a perfect 13-0, winning the Pac-10 or Pac-10 or 12 championship, beating Oregon twice. The Pac-2 now. The Pac-10 now. The Pac-22, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't. It's not going to exist. The Pac-Oregon State. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, Michigan goes undefeated, winning their conference in the Big Ten. So you basically got your conference winners. Um, and then right at number five, which is the most controversial point, we have Florida State. You know, should they have gotten in? Should they have not gotten in? You've got uh, Georgia at number six, whose only loss came at the very end of the season. Um, there's a couple things on my mind, but I want to start with what you guys think. And uh, the medical guy, I'll start uh, with you. I mean, did you agree with the committee's decision? And kind of do you like the decision they came up with um, for their top four? So, yes and no. And my reasons being yes, or reasons being no, is that 13 and 0 should earn you something, right? They beat uh, who, who was it? Louisville. Who was uh, who was in their championship LSU at the beginning of the year? Yeah, Louisville. they had they had multiple top 10 wins. Okay, and 13 and 0. Yes, you don't have your starting quarterback. You're gonna get your backup back. And it, it just it, it's tough to see like and that's and, and the problem with the committee is like you have five conferences right you have power five p five conferences but you have four spots so that's that's the that's the odd part about having this playoff 
it just sucks that you go 13 and 0, you do everything right, and you're not given that spot strictly um, because your quarterback, your starting quarterback got hurt, right? And right. even in that, you still won multiple games without your starting quarterback. Did it look as well? No. Okay. Now, and the reason I do agree with the committee is because I think everybody is okay <laughs> with Florida State not being in it because I don't think that would have been much of a game um, between Michigan and Florida State. But it, it's just it's just odd. And at the same time, it's it's the committee's not going to catch much flack on it because we're going to the 12 team right uh playoff next year and so this is like the perfect time where they could do this and nobody's really going to care that much um so that's kind of i know it's kind of a wishy-washy answer because it's a yes and no but it, it's really tough to see like a 13 and 0 team who had been in the top four or five all year and they came out and basically said, like, since your starting quarterback's not in there, we're not going to put you in there. And so that's where it, it gets kind of tricky. But at the same time, as much as it sucks, I would rather see Michigan play Alabama than Michigan play Florida State with their second or third string quarterback. So I think that's a, a majority of how America feels is, you know, they'd rather see that matchup than the – that's the biggest complaint. I think that's what took everybody's eyeballs off of, uh, you know – Florida State is because of their quarterback situation and and Jordan Travis, who I thought was an absolute, you know, Heisman candidate coming in and he had the Dak ankle snap. You know, I, it, it he put out a tweet and it was pretty devastating to read, just yeah. basically being like, Look, I'm I hate that the committee would make this decision and it reflect upon me being injured and I blame myself. And I was like, Yeah, so he's somebody needs to give him some T's and P's. But um, you know, if a, if a and M back in the day would have won against Alabama with their backup quarterback Calzada, like we did, but we were ten and one or eleven and one, I would say you're kind of or undefeated. I should say in that scenario, if you want to apply it to that, I would say they should get in. But would I think they were going to win the whole damn thing? No, I would say they had the least chance out of most other teams. And then to kind of close out here, I, I really I'm trying not to have an SEC bias because. Yeah, I've watched a lot of Alabama games this year, and they really haven't impressed me until the final three or four games of the year. And even so, there was a game in there like Auburn that was yeah, played, that was and it was a brutal game. They won off. It was my heave of the week like three weeks ago because yeah. with 30 seconds left, he ended up throwing a missile to the back of the end zone to beat an Auburn team who just got railed by New Mexico State the week before. You know, and then it's you played A and M close. You played um, some other teams close. I mean, Hell, they, they just weren't convincing. Close. It's just it's like when you're in fantasy football and you're trading for a name, not for value. And yeah. I think your most valuable team in there, and this is going to sound crazy. I think Texas is the least valuable team in the college football playoff. I don't think the Big Twelve has any validity right now, but I could be proven wrong. I think Georgia has the most validity just because right. they lose one game by three points and then the SEC championship does not constitute they're out. That's why, and to close out my statement, that it's all recency bias. That's yeah. what the college football playoff community is. They forget everything that happened in the beginning of the season except the Texas, because Texas fans won't let you forget about that shit. Trust me. Uh, they got Matthew McConaughey in Hollywood. That shit ain't flying. But, 
yeah, so I just think some more mostly like a recency bias. And then uh, the analyst, um, what were your thoughts on that? And we'll kind of circle around. I kind of, to what you just said, I kind of disagree. I don't think it's a recency bias. I think what they did was kind of to Jacob's point is they looked down at the five conference championship winners and they said, okay, out of these five conference champ, conference champ winners, who's the best? And they picked the top four teams that they thought was the best, you know, I, I do feel bad for Florida State because of everything that every, everybody else has said. It sucks. But at the same time, Florida State, if you put them in this playoff, they're going to get beat by any of the other three teams just because yeah. they don't have their quarterback. And while that does suck, that's what I'm referring to is they sat down and they looked at the five conference, conference championship winners and they said, okay, we think Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Bama are the best. They all four won their conferences. While Florida State did, if we put them in here, they're not going to be able to make it. So I feel more bad for Georgia because Georgia didn't lose, hasn't yeah. lost a game in two years. Yeah, You know, they're easily a good team. Personally, they should probably be in here over Texas. But the problem is, is that, like I said, four conference championship winners, they lost to Bama in the conference championship. So – that's that's where I'm at on the top four. I, I agree with it. I think it's fine. I just feel worse for Georgia than I do for Florida State because Georgia hasn't lost in two years. While Florida State went perfect, you can't really put them in this now and look at it, you know, yeah. day 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 one right now and be confident to put Florida State in there. But two things can be true at once. Yeah, right. You can have Florida State being 13 and 0 mm -hmm. and probably deserving to be in there, but then the other thing could be true is they're definitely not one of the top 4 teams in the nation right now. Yeah. So, that's that's my thought on the committee's decision. And then I guess we can roll into the predictions and what well, we think's going to roll out of it. And I kind of agree like on two points of what y'all both said is like you know, I, I honestly would have picked Georgia over Alabama, even though, you know, you talk about the recency bias, but then like your best loss kind of stuff. Well, if yeah. you watch the Georgia game, right, they essentially had no receivers. McCorkin got dinged up, was out early. Playing hurt, um, yeah. Brock Bowers was obviously well, that's hurt. Yeah. And so it, it's that's where it gets a little confusing. Um with like the Florida state with the injured quarterback is like you said, with Georgia, you know, they've played what 25 games now and they are 25 games and they've lost one. And it came at the very end of the year against an always tough Alabama team by three points with all kinds of injured or, or dinged up dudes on offense. And so it's just, it, like you said, two things can be, one thing can be right or two things can be right, but not necessarily what what it should be or, or one one person's going to be mad right and yeah. so that that was just a tough thing i i mean i'm more of a texas fan than the rest of the team so i, I like texas being in it but it's also a massive market so you know they were going to be in it yeah. and that's i personally i personally would have liked georgia over alabama but that's where i agree with both of y'all like the recency bias and you know, one thing can happen, two things can happen, and and still one side's going to be mad at it. So, yeah, yeah. And see, I I think I don't know, not to cut you off, Jared, but I do think Bama should be in this. The last four or five games, they've looked 
completely different than when Bama played Texas. I mean, Jalen Milrow looks completely different yeah. than when yeah, he he's did exploring. four or five weeks ago. Like, I think Bama, if you look at what they just did to Georgia and you watch that game, Bama played their ass off. So I yeah. think – like, I do think Bama should be in this. The one that I would – be willing to take out is Washington. I just look at Washington and I look at them at 13 and 0. I'm just like, I think everyone's ignoring it, but you know, know. they've they played. Struggled. Yeah. Well, they've struggled the last seven weeks and they barely beat Oregon. And yeah, Oregon, like Oregon's another one. And that's that, I guess that's where we can start talking about the 18 playoff or the 12 team playoff. It's like that, that's the college football committee has basically put them in a hole where if you're picking four teams, it's extremely hard to pick four teams every year because we have the same conversation right. in December every year. It's like, you know, you have all the fans trying to pick who they think is the number one team or the number four team, and it's it's just hard to pick four teams that are – because there's usually six or seven that have one loss. Yeah. So. And Liberty. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. Sam Houston almost beat them. <laughs> yeah, they well, we struggled did. against Arizona teams. Washington did. I think that's the team everybody's kind of turning their eyes from. Um, but I will say before the committee made their decision, I was talking off air and saying that uh, the committee has no way at all to make this right. That yeah. There's no possible because of the format itself, because there's only four teams. There are always going to be teams that are more deserving um, that should be in that aren't. You know, maybe it had been an injury. It's always been a broken system. One loss, you're out, you know, for most teams, uh, especially early on, because eventually you're going to count that. You're going to get another scratch, another L. But if you give everybody a chance, um, or at least the most qualifying teams a chance at 12 teams, like it's going to be next year, that makes all things a whole lot interesting because you're going to have your basically your conference champions yeah. through 12. You know, and it's it's going to be a lot more exciting and they're going to make the right decisions. But let's give our predictions uh, for the college football playoffs itself. Um, who do you all think wins the national championship? How do you think the bracket will play out? I'll start with the analyst first. <laughs> well, uh, I was just going to make one more comment on how the 12 team would be nice. The 12 team is going to be nice. I just had this on my notes. I wanted to share. Everybody can wait their turn. Uh, the 12-team 12, the 12 playoff will be nice because if you have eight, you're still going to be dealing with like one or two lost teams at the eight spot. But if you get down to the 12 teams, you're going to be fighting with teams that are either two losses or three losses. And what's going to be nice about that is that a lot of those teams in the 12, 13, 14, 15 range, those are teams that are going to be played, like have played each other, and you can pick off of head-to-head. Yeah. So that 12 team will be nice because it will be easier to pick like who's in, who's out. So anyway, moving on to predictions, <laughs> um, you know, Michigan playing Bama. Uh, I'll go ahead and start with my prediction. All you need to do is go pull up how Michigan reacted to having oh, to play yeah. Bama. I don't know if y'all saw this video, but during the playoff <laughs> committee selection, you know, Michigan get, gets picks first, and they're, you know, they're all hooping and hollering and getting all excited, and as they should. They're number one in the nation. Washington goes next, so they're like, okay, yeah, Washington should be there. And then they see number three, Texas, get picked, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, good for UT. Who are we going to play? 
Florida State. We're going to get Florida State. They're going to put them in. And they go, at number four, Alabama. And you literally see the entire room just get vacuumed of energy. And you see people put, you know, hands on their heads, you know, scratching their heads, leaning back in chairs like, oh, yeah. I used to see a hype video with Nick Saban walking out of the tunnel, yes. you know, so, like black and white, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, him and boys saw the coming. fear come in their eyes. And so, like, my my whole point to that is, like, I've been saying this forever, and I think it's a pretty old man take, but I still think it applies. You can take a Big Ten team, and you can take all those Northern recruits and say they're all good and whatnot. But you put them up against a team from the South, it's just pure, like football is different. It's just a different level down here. So like that yeah. that alone just solidifies what I've like <laughs> that take for me. It's like you don't want to play those boys. So I don't know what you are laughing at, but yeah. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> anyway, I got Alabama over Michigan for that game. I yeah, and I agree. Um yeah. That's the one I was most excited to talk about. Um, sorry for being unprofessional there. But, um, yeah, my prediction was that Alabama takes on Michigan. Um, and I think Michigan will play Alabama close, but Alabama will take the cake um, and they'll move on to the national championship. I think they're the one of the hottest teams um, out there currently. You know, they're playing – their like I said, their last four or five games have been great outside of the Auburn game. They've just been dominant. And then, of course, they win the SEC championship. So I've got Bama in that game. Um, and then the medical guy, what is your what are your predictions in the Michigan versus Bama game? Yeah, I think Nick Saban and Alabama are inevitable. Um, and I think I think Alabama is going to win this one. Yeah, I think. And, and just listening to that, I don't know if y'all saw that pregame speech with Nick Saban going against – when they were going against Georgia. And, like, you know, Nick Saban's always, like, pretty – zipped up professional yada yada and then he was like he was like that makes this shit personal and i was like oh hell here we go i was like once he said it's personal i was like yeah it's one of those where it's personal (laughs) yeah it's one of those where he's about to he's about to put it on him um and so i think i do think this is gonna be kind of an ugly game though like i i can't imagine this being more than like a 21 to like 21 alabama like 17 Michigan or something, just kind of an ugly old school game. Yeah. Um, and I've I've got Alabama and Michigan uh, Alabama over Michigan to get to the, the college national championship. Oh yeah. And then moving on to Texas versus Washington. Um I have I have Texas winning this game. There we um, go. And and that's not to say that I still don't I'm that's not to say I'm going back on what I said earlier, but I think Texas is a much better team than Washington. As good as Penix is, the the lefty quarterback for the for Washington Huskies, as good as he is, and he could very well win the Heisman. Um, in fact, I do think he wins the Heisman. I think that Quentin Ewers in Texas are better coached, and you will we'll see some uh, some pretty good stuff. But yeah, I've got Texas over them in a, in a shootout. It's going to be a shootout, no doubt. It's going to be a yeah, yeah. It's going to be a Big Twelve I'll, game. I'll say, I'll say and whoever gets wins that game, it doesn't matter who it is, it's going to get routed in the national championship by Alabama. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take a quote from both the Rook and the analyst on this one. And 
it is follow the money. Follow <laughs> Vegas right Does here. Does Vegas make now, the call? Now, I do think Texas is a better team. However, I think they're going to win because I think Texas is going to win. I do think it's going to be a shootout. I think the over-under is already projected at like 68 points or something nuts like that. And I think that not only America, but uh, college football fans would rather see Texas versus Alabama in a national championship for a rematch from what happened a few years ago um, and would rather see them play in the national championship. And as much as I like, uh, I would rather root for Texas over Alabama, and I'm not rooting for Alabama overall. Um I, I would say Alabama would beat Texas in the national championship, but I think Texas beats Washington. And I honestly, I think it's going to be like a 45 to 41 game or something crazy like that. Like just touchdowns all over the place. Uh, and I think we're going to get uh, what the committee picks for Texas versus Alabama. National yeah. And you've got like a little Southern versus Southern matchup there. And you're claiming that most of the United States would want this. And I think you're correct. But if there's one thing that, this country does need is a, a North versus South union versus Confederacy. Jeez. This isn't the first time that 20 year old <laughs> men went to war against each other on a, on turf. Okay. This is what I was talking so, about. Ryan. This is what <laughs> yes. we need. We need that Northern team, Washington <laughs> going against the Southern team. I'm going to get this union. And that, and because when it happens, you know, people are going to go on Spotify and Apple podcasts go, what the fuck is track 26? The Union versus the Confederacy, oh and then they're, they're playing it, and they're just oh, we're talking about Washington versus Bama. Cool, <laughs> but uh, disregard the last five minutes of what I just said. But <laughs> Ryan, this is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, well, you you, you woke up the leash. You woke me up, Ryan. Well, I've got a I've got a different take on this. Uh, let's throw out the record books. Let's get everything back in here. Uh, Washington can throw the ball like crazy. UT's defense cannot defend a pass for his life. I tend to think that Washington wins this game in shootout and UT becomes upset and it pisses them off going into the SEC. For, I'm going to say the opposite of what Jacob said. I think Washington barely edges it out, and I don't know why I feel that way. I think Washington Penix Jr. somehow beats Texas and UT reverts back to losing big games. I know that's going to accept Jacob. And then I'm going to say Bama plays Washington and then Bama literally beats the ever loving (laughs) hell out of Washington by like 35 points. And we have another bummer college football playoff game. I would much rather. Go tie. Yeah. I would rather see. Texas play Bama, but I don't think that that's going to happen. I just feel like Washington's going to win. So there you have it. And there you have it. Your college football playoff predictions there. And then now we move into our first week of the the track ranking Christmas edition. Your holiday special from uh, the Christmas track group. And there's your ugly sweater and here's your Christmas sweater. Ugly. Um, an ugly Christmas. I'm sweater. messing with you, bro. <laughs> it used to it used to light up, and then the, the box broke. So and we got the uh, sweater police down there. 
but all right, let's get into it. Like last time, we're going to start, you know, one at a time. We're going to start from uh, gold, move into platinum, and then finish with diamond. Um, I'm going to go last on each one. So the analyst, you go first, followed by the medical guy. I'll go third, start gold, and then. Yep. Yep. All righty. Add an honorable mention. We're we've been talking about the South a lot, and you know, this just falls. We're all, we're, didn't you say the analyst goes first? <laughs> Do we have yeah. to put a mute on this honorable mention? <laughs> no, the honorable mention: Christmas in Dixie by Bama. That one, Alabama. You know, we've been talking about them Bama. And that made that. my honorable mention. That's a great Christmas song. My gold because I'm a I'm a country music lover at heart uh, is let it be Christmas by Alan Jackson. I feel like this is a song that you, when you walk into like, uh, you know, a Christmas store or you walk into like anywhere, this song is yeah. always playing on the radio while you're shopping, looking for your you know, presents for your mom or dad, very common uh, Christmas song, but let it be Christmas by Alan Jackson is my gold. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Nice. nice. <laughs> We're back on track. <laughs> there we go. All right. My gold yeah. is going to be uh, Jingle Bell Rock, and it doesn't matter who sings it. Okay. And so that's going to be my gold. I don't have a, a dissertation about it like Ryan, but just Jingle Bell Rock, and then we'll pass it over to the rook. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, let's go to uh, my gold ranking. Um, and mine is actually going to be, and this is why I feel like I think outside the box. The, Mupp- the Muppets Christmas Carol soundtrack with Scrooge, Marley and Marley, and it feels like Christmas. You know, that is we're Marley and Marley. Whoa! You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen the Muppets Christmas Carol? You know what I'm talking about. The whole album is fire. The Muppets do a damn good job. They do. They do a damn good job. That's like, three, that's like three pods in a row where you've thrown out the Muppets or something like that. Yeah, last last week it was Justin Herbert compared to Kermit the Frog as Bob Cratchit. This week yes. it's the best soundtrack known to man in Christmas history. Yeah, all right, Ryan, I'll pass it over to you for, for Platinum Ranking. All right, platinum ranking for all you Christians out there. Silent nights sung by a church choir on Christmas Eve. When you go to the Christmas Eve church service and they whip out them candles and you start lighting them up together and you sing the silent night, you know, acapella with the church choir, it always bangs. It's always it always gets you in the mood. Know that you know, six pound eight ounce baby Jesus is gonna be coming back. That is my platinum ranking of silent night. I got a good question for you, and I know it's just, it's just going to be between me and you, but who would you want leading that choir? Oh, you already know. I almost put it on there. Rocky. I almost <laughs> put it on there. <laughs> Rocky from Crossroads Baptist Church. He's one of the <laughs> Hall of Fame church choir guys. He's so I mean, had a he-, he hit the, the God hurts or the God yeah. uh, frequency. He was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, but they, they, you know what they did is they ran him out of that church. The new regime came in and they said, you know, old style of running the football isn't going to work anymore. We need to spread out. <laughs> yeah, they, they could have made a Yellowstone, Yellowstone spin off. Yeah. The Yellowstone <laughs> so they went into a, Christ- they went into a Christian church. type spread of uh, <laughs> no longer conventional choir. They went to a full spread of uh, <laughs> Christian <Austin>. rock band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, That's All right, perfect. the medical guy, you're platinum. All right, so uh, my platinum, and I kind of mentioned these two songs on the last pod uh, for my platinum and diamond, but next one is Last Christmas by Wham. Um, Just a great song. Uh, They harmonize perfectly. You do hear it everywhere, but it's always like, 
when you hear it, like even if you can't sing, Based you start, on a love yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe Jared can sing, but yeah, it's like <laughs> you just start, you just start humming or singing to it. And it's just like, yeah. yeah, that's a, and then like when the when the apex hits, it's just like, damn, that's a good song, that's yeah. a good song. So, There's a banger. That's yeah. a damn good song, and that's my platinum ranking as well. Actually, yeah, Last Christmas by Wham. I couldn't leave it out of there. I tried to, I tried to be, you know, spectacular with this list, but this one has to be in there for it in order for it to be spectacular. So yeah, that's mine as well. Uh, Ryan, your diamond. Yeah, so I went away from. Um, I tried to find songs that nobody else would pick, but I have a feeling Jared might have this one as well. At my diamond ranking, I have the Saint Brick intro. Oh, I did not think about that one. This is good <laughs> the news. Saint this is good news. Yeah. There's nothing better than riding around with an AK yeah. on Christmas with East Atlanta Santa. Yeah. Classic, classic, classic uh, Christmas. Ice full of- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that needs to be. We don't want snow. That needs to be the intro for one of yeah. the next two weeks. <laughs> the house full of. <laughs> when that bass drops and he hits the dun 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 dun, dun. yeah, it's oh hell yeah, hell yeah. So my diamond ranking and say what you want about them. I was a huge fan of them growing up. Still am to this day. I remember, and y'all may not remember, but back in the day, you had TVs, and when you wanted to record something, you had to go get an empty VHS tape, push it into the TV, press the red button, and record it. And I remember I recorded this. Not only concert, <laughs> as like a nine-year-old or like a seven-year-old, and this specific song from one of the concerts was "Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays" by NSYNC, and the music video is like they're like, you know, they're choreographed like, you know, spinning around like choreographed, yeah, uh, you know, they're they're different dances and whatnot by NSYNC, and like I could go like the same with the Wham song, like either could have been interchangeable. But like you hear that and you're just like, happy holiday, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah, perfect. See, like I, you just want to start snapping your fingers, stomping your feet, and like just getting there. after. Yeah, you, you want to cut up a rug, but uh, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's mine. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays by Insane. What you got? There we go. All right, Ryan. I am so glad. That me and you did not I have fought the same for one. A full, I, I fully thought you were going to take mine. No, <laughs> I thought of one even better, in my opinion. And that is, and the answer is clear, you should say. Want a Sprite Cranberry? That is my number <laughs> one Christmas song, is Sprite Cranberry by LeBron James. Yeah. You know? Every Christmas, it always pops up. It's the Christmas. thirst. Thirstiest time of the year. Bust that down. Let's go. Dang. Every time it pops up, like you'd be watching an NFL game, whatever. And every time it pops up on the screen, I just laugh because I've seen so many different stupid memes. All right. Sorry, y'all. We had to go and pause there for a second. And we were laughing so hard, we almost pissed ourselves. But, um, Yeah, we were just talking about Sprite Cranberry. My computer was about to die, and we are back on track. That was our track ranking, our top three (laughs) Christmas tracks. Next week, we got our best three movies. Those your gold, platinum, diamond. And now we'll move into our NFL NFL exclusive game recap, 49ers versus the Eagles. This will be a little quick recap of the game, and then we'll move into the two-minute drill with the analyst. Um, All right, let's go. Um, I'll start off a little quick brief 
brief recap. We'll move to the medical guy, and I'll follow up to the the analyst. I thought this game was going to be a, a huge measuring stick game against how we fared with the Eagles, which explained perfectly why the game the first time in Fox or uh, Philadelphia was as close as it was because, well, the 49ers blew them out too. Um, and it was not close. It was not pretty. There was two good drives by the Philadelphia Eagles at the beginning of the game that were very convincing. I thought that Jalen Hurts was playing out, outstanding in those first two drives and that they looked ready to play and the 49ers didn't even look close to ready. And then all of a sudden, things changed. <laughs> and that's yeah. all I know how to explain it. I mean, you yeah. look at Brock Purdy's passing chart, and I'll let, I don't want to take all the points, but you look at his passing chart and you're like, how the hell did they put up 42 points? Because everything's under 10 yards. Uh, Debo, you look, I saw his highlight film everywhere on social media. Well, it was all at the line of scrimmage and under six yards downfield. He just exploded for run after the catch. And then now they want to scream Brock Purdy for MVP, but that's a different subject. We'll get to that towards the end. But yeah, I, I thought the Eagles talked that, talked that smack. I'm sorry, flipped that. The 49ers talked that smack, showed up in black, brought out the bean box started beef before the game, said they were going to whoop their ass, and whooped their ass in the game. Yeah. And they did the same shit to the Dallas Cowboys. So I have to give mad, as much as I don't want to, I have to give mad respect for the San Francisco 49ers. That is the Super Bowl favorite right now. Um, yeah. They're the most Absolutely. complete team in the NFL. But that's my quick recap. I thought Jalen Hurts, you know, eh, but – I I haven't seen a quarterback really play well against the 49ers, except because uh, you can argue Trevor Lawrence and Kirk, uh, Cousins. Kirk, Cousins, Kirk Cousins was the main one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, medical guy, your recap. Yeah. So 42, 49ers, uh, 19 Eagles. Just some quick points that I had is like when the 49ers are clicking on everything, they're the best team in the NFL right now. Um, even going down as quickly as they did, they were able to come back. And it was just like, like you said, it was like, oh, this is going to be a game. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, this game's over. Um, and so when they're clicking right now, they seem like they're they're the best team in the NFL. And honestly, it seems by far right now. Um, yeah. Another point was, like you said, the, the yards after catch for the 49ers, I think those external pieces outside of the quarterback were just insane. Um, and that's what you need from your big players in big games is like step up and make plays. And obviously they know like, I don't want to say the worst position because he's playing well, but to have Brock Purdy as your essentially worst piece on offense is a good thing to have because he's yeah, obviously absolutely. not bad. But, I mean, IU stepped up. Debo was insane. Kittle, even though he didn't have a crazy, crazy game, I mean, he still did what he needed to do as a third weapon. McCaffrey was out of this world. Um, and so just those, those extra pieces on the outside uh, were just crazy for the 49ers. Um, one point I did have to make the 49ers beat Dallas at San Francisco, the 49ers beat Philly at Philly. And so I think that's a big difference right there is like, yes, we got drummed, but we were also away and it's shown how well we play at home rather than away. Um, but San Francisco went into Philly and smacked Philly. Um, another point I was glad to be wrong on my take for the Eagles winning. Um, this now gives, and I don't want to look ahead too far but this now opens up the division a little bit for the Cowboys. They get a win this weekend. This also looks at how awful that loss to the Cardinals was, uh, but that's another topic for another time, and we've already talked about it a little bit. Uh, and then my last point is Philadelphia's O-line with 
uh, Lane Johnson in there looked unreal. Um, yeah, totally different. I mean, totally different unit. Yeah, you saw uh, like you were just watching that game, and you just—I mean, what is it? Armstead, uh, Chase Young now, uh, Bosa. Like, I mean, there's just that those couple plays where like Lane Johnson just took <laughs> just took uh, Bosa yeah. to the woodshed, and yeah. it was honestly. I think it was a little more of an indictment on, honestly, Jalen Hurts for a lot of that game because how many times against a 49ers defense do you have over two and a half seconds to throw the ball? And so it's. I think it's a little bit of an indictment on yes. Jalen Hurts and also a plus for that secondary for uh, San Francisco with how well they covered and and – you know, just kept them from having those big plays and really smothering that offense after an insane start to the game. So those are just kind of my points that I, I saw from the game and really, really caught my eye. Yeah, yeah. And the mm -hmm. analyst? Yeah, to build off of what uh, Jacob's saying, you know, we can talk about how Debo had a great game, how you had a great game. A lot of Purdy's passes were the line, the line of scrimmage. But if you just watch how they play – how the 49ers play, that's just their game plan. They're, behind the line of scrimmage is their stuff. They get it to the guys in space. All they do is ask Purdy to make those throws that Garoppolo would miss from time to time. And that's why Purdy is being so good for them is because he's hitting, you know, he's hitting, perfect example, he's hitting Debo in the flat. Debo turns around and he's got Trent Williams and George Kittle, they blocking for him on the outside, and they're blocking cornerbacks. So, like, that's why the 49ers are doing what they're doing so well, is they're just asking Brock Purdy to get it to their guys, and he's he's doing his job. That's that's the main thing on that. And then – I agree. Another thing on the Niners is they just – they run the NFC. They just – I think the argument could be made the top three teams in the NFL are in the NFC. That's the Cowboys, the 49ers, and the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, NFC is not up to par – you know, maybe you could pick the Ravens out of the AFC. But, you know, the top three teams are, are to me are in the NFC. And right now the Niners just beat both of those teams by basically a combined 60 points. So they they run the NFC and they are the pick, I think, for the Super Bowl right now. When they're the healthiest, when they're all healthy, when they have Trent Williams and everybody out there, they're unstoppable. They're, they're just a well-oiled machine. Yeah. Flipping to the Eagles, that defense, man, holy moly. The loss of Jonathan Gannon for the for them as a DC, you know, he's the head coach of the Cardinals now. That completely stopped the progression of that defense. Everybody was talking about how that defense last year when they got to the Super Bowl was really, really good. They didn't really lose anybody and they drafted great on their defense. You know, they added Jalen Carter. They got that linebacker from Georgia, I think Noah Smith. Um, you know, but their their secondary is trash, complete trash. I mean, Darius Slay said it too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think it's been shown. I mean, Sam Howell twice threw for like 400 yards on him. Dak threw for had a complete game against them, and then Brock Purdy just threw for another 320 on. Him. I mean, essentially, I think the game plan to beat the Eagles, and we'll get into this when we talk about it with Dallas, is like if you get them open on the outsides and you get, you start getting the passing game going, they're vulnerable on, on the, in the middle of the field. Cause that's what everybody fe fears is their front seven. But if you get them where they can't play in their base defense, they're in trouble. Yeah. So 
My last point is Jalen Hurts, um, exactly what Jacob said. I mean, you've got two and a half seconds to throw the ball, and I've been saying this for about Jalen Hurts for a while. My main pick on him is that when he holds the ball and the receiver is just not there, if it's not a deep ball and he has to look through a progression, and it's been like this since he was at Oklahoma, is when he has to look through a progression and you get him – you know, sitting there thinking about where he has to go. He's been nowhere near as good as, like, your top guys in the NFL progression reads. Dak's one of them, for the record. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Those guys are great at progressions and finding the checkdowns or finding the out routes, whatever. Jalen Hurts, I've been saying this, when he has time, when he looks through his progression and he feels like he's getting pressured, he just takes off to one of the sidelines. If you watch the game, he does it constantly. And then the 49ers didn't let him do that. So, I mean, you saw he had that embarrassing sack where he was trying to make a play and he just hit the ground. So, I mean, that's the way he moves. Yeah, great. His offensive line is good. But when he plays, when he has the time and he does it, like he doesn't really do much with it. He just either takes off to the sideline and that's how he beats teams, but that's also how he's, he's keeping himself from beating good teams. Yeah, so. and I think what's you know it goes along with what you're saying is um, he has all that time and all those weapons, and it's really, really, really hard to make a mistake um, and lose games. You really have to screw it up bad, um, and he doesn't really screw it up bad enough, which I think is why a big reason why they have the record that they have. But they've also been caught in very fortunate scenarios throughout yeah. this season, which we've called out week in, week out. And we just wanted a team to step up. We we wanted it to be honestly the gauntlet, you know, Chiefs, the Bills, um, 49ers this week. Somehow they scratched two wins against the Buffalo Bills and the Chiefs, which we all agreed that they weren't deserving of those wins in the eyes of us because we watch those games. We talk about the eye test all the time with the kid. You know, what do the eye tests tell you? Well, it tells you that Jalen Hurts really isn't, in my opinion, does isn't really playing as well as he did last year which is not like an ultimate knock on Jalen Hurts. It's just like – it's just like you can say that Dak Prescott has an interception problem. You can say this year that Jalen Hurts has a turnover slash hang on to the ball too long problem. And it's not to say that he's a shitty player forever. It's just to yeah. say that this year he's not playing up to his standards from last year, which is expected because last year was so great. But, um, yeah, you know, just to close that one out, I just wanted to throw that one in there and – you know, I wanted to lastly bring up the 2022 NFC Championship game and how I talked about before we even had a podcast religiously on Twitter through group chats. And it was almost as hard as I would say, defending Dak Prescott's name or anybody like that. Um, it's, um, it's two things. One, what uh, the NFC Championship game where we had the most fortunate scenario for Jalen Hurts, where he only had to throw about 19 times to beat both like the Giants and the 49ers without a quarterback. And they think that I heard somebody actually say, Oh, you know, injuries are part of the game. What does that have to do with who, you know, should have won that game? You know, the 49ers have no quarterback and you're like, injuries are part of the game. If, if the Dallas Cowboys were in that same game, they'd be yanking at that chain. They didn't have a quarterback, (laughs) but since it was the Eagles, it was, but, um, the second one was this is what Aaron Rodgers was talking about, about Dak Prescott versus Jalen Hurts, is that Dak Prescott is playing the position very, very well. Um, and I'll just 
leave it at that in the very condensed format because I'm rambling on. But well, I mean, you could also you could also add Brock Purdy, and I'm I'm not afraid to say like I, I still have my concerns about Brock Purdy because he's young, but yeah, you could even say that about Brock Purdy. He's playing the position well. Yeah. He is. He's playing uh, scheme well like, is what I would phrase it as. Yeah. Yes, and so which is fine. You look at Jalen Hurts, and my take on it is he's not playing up to par as these other guys are that are winning games. And you can look at the offense for the Eagles and you can make the argument just like you can for Brock Purdy, that he's not the best piece out there on the offense. It's not. So I can make, you can make the argument that Deandre Swift is the most pivotal piece of the offense for the Eagles. If you watch the games, Deandre Swift makes that offense go. And so does AJ yeah. Brown. And I Fonte's. mean, you've got, and I mean, you got, you've got three possible Hall of Fame like O linemen. Like people forget about that is like, and you just saw. I mean, it's similar like when Dallas doesn't have Tyron Smith playing at the level he's playing at. It's like you see an immediate drop off in that O line mm-hmm. when you know, like Lane Johnson's out or Jason Kelsey's not playing well. And I mean, you could make you can make an argument that like he may not be a top eight player on his team. And if you consider, especially on the offense, if you consider O-line included. Yeah. I mean, you could make that argument for the 49ers as well. They lost those three games in a row. Trent Williams was out. So if I had to condense it into three on those three teams, who the most valuable player on each team is, in other words, who is the engine of their offense on each team for the Eagles? I would say it's AJ Brown. For the 49ers, I would say it's Christian McCaffrey. And for the Dallas mm-hmm. Cowboys, I would say it's Dak Prescott. It's I think solely that, I think, Dak. If we lose yeah. Dak, it's an oh shit moment. Because there is no it's run game. It, there's only one person that is getting a shit ton of targets because of the quarterback, and it's CD Lamb. CD Lamb's getting, it's, it's, he's very close because he's getting open all the time. But the, Dak is the engine that drives CD Lamb. But then you get, you know, AJ Brown with a lot of these run after the catches where you're catching yeah. it over the middle of the field, then it's where CD Lamb's getting open, catching the ball, not doing too much rack, but sometimes popping up because he's such a great player. But you can just kind of tell from the eye test, in my opinion, that Dak Prescott is engine um, for the offense. And I'm not trying to like gargle his nuts here. This is what my eye test tells me. Um, you know, I just, that's, I feel like I'm smart at analysis here, but. Um, anyway, I mean, we could you could say that people can be biased, but I mean, I yeah. feel like I've watched more football this year than I have ever in a long yeah. time. And like, you just I've watched the Eagles and I've watched the like how they pissed me off, how they've won these last <laughs> couple games. Y'all know, I mean, I can't stop bitching about it, but I've also watched <laughs> how the 49ers play. And like, I'm I'm not saying and you can you can make the argument the last couple of years that, you know, Garoppolo was good enough for the 49ers and Trey Lance couldn't make it, but any quarterback that they've thrown in that piece has been serviceable, but Brock Purdy's the best at it because he's making the throws that Garoppolo could. Yeah. If we threw that hard, if we threw anybody (laughs) in the Cowboys offense, I'd be a little concerned unless their names were Mahomes and Burrow and Allen, like, Herbert, maybe. Yeah. You know, uh, and the only reason nobody will listen to a word I said if you're not a Dallas Cowboys fan is if you're not a Dallas Cowboys fan. 
You know, just don't want to hear because, it at this point. Because you're like, oh, he's a Cowboys fan. Disregard what he just said. Well, I feel like I'm pretty objective. And the most objective person in the history of objectiveness is sitting behind me in the living room right now, you know, eating his dinner. And that's that's <laughs> the kid, you know. So anyway, let's move on to the two-minute drill. And then we'll go into uh, your Russell Wilson passing chart and our AFC Week 14 game prediction. But go ahead, yes. Dan. I don't have Russell Wilson's uh, – Passing chart this time. I've got a new wrinkle in my. Scared to show it? No. <laughs> I, yeah, I think he had three interceptions against yeah, the Texans. Yeah, I was say this is the worst. <laughs> yeah, this is a good week. <laughs> I can pull it up for us, and and it's probably exactly what I've been saying for the last couple of weeks. Is he? It'll probably. Uh, it'll it'll probably cause on the old Twitter. It'll probably cause Jared's screen to go black again. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just sitting Wow. So I'm gonna run through some stats, and I'm gonna have Jared pull up the uh, Twitter. Thing because I'm on a different computer that won't allow me to be on Twitter. So anyway, here we go. I got Nico Ballins Collins. Uh, first up, injury to Tank Dell. Sad to see, especially because Tank Dell was having such a huge uh, rookie season. He's been huge for a lot of fantasy teams. Uh, Jacob mentioned his injury earlier. That really sucks. But Nico stepped up big time. He's had a couple of flashes in a pan this year, but – he had nine catches, 191 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, the other note I have for this, it's been pretty wild how Stroud just kind of like picks a guy in a game, and that dude all of a sudden gets 150-plus. So, like, you know, there's been two or three games where Noah Brown was the guy of the of the day, three games where it was Tank Dell, and then, like, two games where it was Nico Collins. He just kind of picks one of his receivers, and it's like, I'm force-feeding you the ball today. So, yeah. congratulations. Also, shout-out to my brother-in-law, um, unfortunate Tank Dell got um, injured, but um, my brother-in-law uh, was just signed to the practice squad for the Texans. Oh, to kind of fill that role. So, yes, congrats, Davion Davis. Hopefully, he'll be on the pod soon. I've had some conversations with him about it. So, anyway, I would love to on. have him. Uh, let's yeah. just get out there right now. I would love to have him on the podcast. He's 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 awesome. He has so, a very rare story. Yeah, so I almost wore – he gave me a uh, Birmingham Stallions hat. Um, I've had it in my closet. I almost wore it today, but I went with the never shoot with your drinking hand hat. So here we go. <laughs> oh, Brock Purdy and the Niners. We've had some – just had some long conversations about that. But 19 for 27, 314 yards and four touchdowns for Brock Purdy. And then Debo, still a running back. Samuel talked shit and backed it up. He had four receptions, 116 yards, and then three attempts for 22, three total touchdowns, and then McCaffrey doing what he always does, 17 carries, 93 yards, and one touchdown. And then I had some – had a low ball moment here. I said Justin Herbert in the absolutely electric Keller Moore offense. <laughs> um, 212 yards total for him on the day with only six points to it now, two and ten Absolutely horrible Patriots team. Yeah, that Kellen Moore move was going to really change Justin Herbert's. But like we've been saying, we told y'all. Not, yeah, we tried telling you. We told y'all so, it was a problem. Yes. So Sam Laporta, or also known as Handsome Shrek, I don't know if you've ever seen his picture. He looks <laughs> a ton like Handsome Shrek. Yeah, he does. Uh, nine catches, 140 yards, and one touchdown on the day for the Lions. They came out went crazy in the first quarter and then almost blew the game to the Saints. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to throw my little wrinkle in the offense. I'm going to have Jared pull up my clip that I sent him. Yep. And uh, we're going to talk about Cheetah's touchdown 
and nothing much to say here, but this dude is fast. But what I'm going to do here is walk you through what happened on this play for the Dolphins. This was, I think, uh, yeah, this was Tyreek Hill's first touchdown. You want it in slow day. motion? Yeah, give me a three-quarter, but don't move it yet from here, and I'll explain what's going on. So if you look at what we've got up here, this is five wide, um, three to the left, two to the right. So no running back for Tua in, in the backfield. Um, play has already kind of started here, but what you can see is the Washington Redskins on third and two decided to go cover one, and you can tell that because they have one safety high. And then on the rest of the field, you can tell they're man down because they've got, you know, press coverage on the top of the screen and on the bottom of the scheme, they are uh, man down because you can tell from the three receivers, they've got three guys on top of them. So they're basically going to say, we're going to man you down right here on the third and two and just send four. Um, that linebacker in the middle is kind of just playing the spy on two and making sure he doesn't get loose. But um, easy, easy cover one concept as you can see, like with the safety high. So the Dolphins on this play, they call your typical stick play. So this bottom receiver on the bottom is going to run a hitch. Tua, or sorry, Tyreek Hill is in the slot right here, right on top of that 20. He's going to run the fade. This is an easy route concept. Uh, it's ran in a lot of colleges. And then the uh, inside receiver there, kind of your tight end look. Uh, your third guy starting from the bottom to the top, he's going to run an out. And then uh, a little bit different concept on the top. Usually um, your guys on the top are going to run like an out and an up, and that's what they do here on the stick play. So Tua, once you click play, Jared, I'll tell you when to click it to stop. Okay. Go ahead and click play and stop right there. So as you can see, Go back a little bit. The, the line calls – the line call here is they got a four down front. So they're just going to say – back it up to where you can see the linemen. But you, you can see that the linemen say, okay, we got a five down front. We're just going to shade everybody right, zone block right. But in reality, they, go, they end up going big on – it starts off as big on big, but this is where this NFL te technique takes over. And they start just pushing everybody right. That allows – to, uh, to look up, and he's got two, as Jared's pointing out with his cursor, two wide-open fly routes because you've got the fastest team in the NFL running flies. So let that thing roll. You'll see you'll see Tyreek just break free, a simple fly route right over the top. And for some reason, the Washington commanders thought it was a good idea to run a cover-one concept on the fastest wide receiver in the league when they've been getting torched all year. So um, question on for the defense on that is what I just said. On third down, you go man down and you don't even send a blincer. You think four, four against the speed you've got is enough? You've got to be kidding me. So, Rubber boat yeah, run. Yeah, the commanders fired their defensive coordinator and just decided that they were going to give up 47 or whatever to the Dolphins. So yeah. that's going to wrap up my player of the week. This is a simple five-man out stick concept that ended up in a two actually wide open receivers for Tua and he went with this guy Tyreek Hill who's having a massive year. So hell yeah. Well let's watch it. Let's watch the full play in motion. You guys can watch it for yourself. So let's get it. Tua. See those two guys on the outs. Got the fly route. Easy money. You're not gonna catch him, are you? 
No. no. Touchdown. <laughs> What's the celly though? Miami play. And then of course they hit the uh, they hit the oh, amusement park roller coaster celly. Yeah, so. that's a good one. All right. Hell yeah. Love that. Easy, Love that. That's yeah. an easy play to not to start off for analysis. So we'll once we start getting into some nasty zone concepts, we'll we'll work our way in on that. And I'll I'll be able to pull it up. So there you have it. That's the that's the clip of the week for me, the analysis of the week. Film room. Welcome to the analyst film room. The all 22. <laughs> yeah. All these breakdowns, you know. Look at Tyreek Hill. Look at Tyreek Hill right here. Uh <laughs> all right. Just gassing them up. Uh, week 14, game of the week prediction. We've got the Gunslingers facing off uh, the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills are at 6-6. Six and six. Kansas City Chiefs are 8-4. and four. Um, Let's give our overall predictions on this game and why you think that. Uh, the medical guy, I'll start with you, and then uh, I'll follow up, and the analyst will close. Give him a little break, you know, drink a little swig of water. Cool. Um, I had the spread at, uh, minus two and a half KC. That's the last one I checked, uh, before we got on the pod. Um, and so I think, uh, I'll go ahead and give my prediction first. I think bills are going to win 31, 28. seems like when bills play people for a second time, they figure out, you know, Hey, we know how to play football and we can score. So (laughs) I think it's going to be a high flying game, uh, especially for like that mid afternoon game coming on. The reason being, I think the Bills know these are must-win. Every every game they have from here on out is a must-win, so I think they're going to be a little more amped up. Uh, I think it's obvious that KC, uh, Kansas City has more weaknesses than they've had in the past years, especially on offense, unless we figure out how to use or figure out who a number one wide receiver or just a number two option is outside of Travis Kelsey. It's kind of shown that defenses are kind of shadowing him and really not allowing his yards after catch. Um, I know in the past, if you've seen and what we what we like to refer to a lot of the tight ends that are that are good in the league are catching it and moving with it, right? Like your Kittles, your Andrews, your Kelsey's, they catch it, get down the field. Um, and I think they're doing a really good job of not letting him make those explosive plays and stuff like that. Um, and so I think the, the offense is starting to show they've, they've kind of they've kind of got some weaknesses there. Um, and it just seems they kind of stall out sometimes. The defense is pretty good. However, I think um, the Bills match up, the offense matches up against his defense very well is because this defense likes to play pressure a lot. I think uh, I think uh, Josh Allen is gonna is gonna remain more calm, especially coming off a of bye. Uh, and they're gonna, you know, they've got a lot of weapons out there on offense with Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs and now Dalton Kincaid. I still think that. Even if they're not running the ball necessarily great, I still think getting James Cook and the other running backs in space to make some plays, especially with those pressured looks, taking a, you know, taking a uh, running back against a safety or a linebacker or even a corner for that matter, and in one-on-one situation, I think James Cook wins that a lot. Um, and so I think those are going to. I think the, the Bills' defense is good enough to win this game and keep them in this game and keep the Kansas City uh, offense at bay a little bit. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway is going to be uh, the Bills giving what the defense takes them and being good against the pressure that the Kansas City defense puts on them because we know Steve Spagnuolo likes to bring pressure, especially in high leverage downs. Um, yes. And I think just making those plays against that defense is going to it's going to give the Bills uh, uh, their best chance to win. And so I have them Bills winning 31-28. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a similar prediction to you. 
Um, and I have the Bills winning this game 27 to 23. Uh, I think this is a must-win game for the Bills, and I think they'll play like it. Um, is essentially was my reasoning for that. I think the Chiefs have a lot of issues that they need to solve, and they didn't they didn't solve them at the trade deadline, and it goes back to getting that wide receiver one. Um, and Rashi Bryce is a fine receiver, but is he ready to handle this role? I don't think so. Um, I think the Bills have nothing to lose, and the Chiefs have everything to lose. Um, so they're just kind of riding high right now. There's nobody really threatening their division. The Chiefs can take this game as a rest game almost and almost as like they're not going to play like it obviously but if they went eight and five their division is nowhere close um to competing with the Chiefs for the number one spot for the divisional win and outside of miami you know there really isn't miami could could fuck around and get the first round by in the afc if they really wanted it um depending on uh future events with the dallas cowboys and maybe some other teams but yeah, I've got the Bills winning a close one here, 27 to 23. Must win game for them. Josh Allen plays um plays a good one. Yeah, um, I feel like Jacob said everything that needed to be said right there for sure. Uh basically what I have must win game for the Bills, can't lose for the Chiefs. So uh Jared nailed it on the head as well. The Chiefs did not address getting a wide receiver one for Patrick Mahomes, and I think they felt like Kelsey was going to continue to be Kelsey, and he's been not very good for Mahomes. Um, if you watch the games, Mahomes is playing pretty dang well. He just he does not have any any weapons, and yeah. Kelsey's not stepping up for him. Um, Josh Allen, I think they're going to come out and play really well. I've got the Bills. I'm going to go – I'm going to say it's going to be kind of a low-scoring game. I'm going to say 21-14 Bills. Hell yeah. All right. And that is your week 14 game of the week breakdown. Um, and now we'll move into uh, tracking the boys segment. Uh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, week 13 recap Cowboys 41 Seahawks 35 from the Thursday night football game on Amazon prime video. This was an absolute shootout from the get go. We're going to give our little quick analysis of why we won and you know who carried the boats and whatnot. Um, medical guy, I'll let you start this one out, and then the analyst you can follow, and I'll close this out with a with a quick little recap of what we saw in this game. But the Cowboys, uh, nonetheless, you know, moved to nine and three with the Eagles coming up next. But without further ado, the recap for the Seahawks. Cool. I've got my good, bad, and okay. Um, we'll start with the good. Uh, I think, I, I mean, outside outside of Dak, um, I have the CD, CD Lamb, Ferguson, Cooks connection. I think all three of them are rolling now. I think with Cooks in there, like I've said on plenty of podcasts before, I think he's he's showing that, one, he's a prime option, and, and two, that when, he, when he's, no pun intended, cooking, like he's a big difference maker, and it makes – you know, all the defenses sit there and and be like, oh, shit. Now they got a third person that can come around. Um, next, I have uh, Jalen Tolbert. I know he doesn't get necessarily uh, the targets or the looks or anything, but like, and shout out to the Rook. Like you've said many times, when he plays, his reps count. And especially on like those, you know, breakout scramble drills, it seems like it just seems almost like when Amari Cooper used to do it, it's like 
He always used to be open by the sideline and make a toe-tapping catch or, you know, that nice seven-yard check down to get a first down. He's making his he's making his reps count and really taking advantage of those reps he's kind of getting from Michael Gallup. Uh, next, the O-line looked phenomenal, um, especially in the past game. Uh, next on the good, and I know this might be kind of a hot take, but Stephon Gilmore. Um, it showed that yeah. in multiple situations, if – you know, Bland hasn't been great. I mean, they and props to the Dallas defense, uh, defensive staff at least trying to make a change, right? Um, because we've seen in past where we go into halftime and all of a sudden we come out in the same defense and then continue to get shredded. Um, I thought Gilmore did well containing DK Metcalf a little more, especially more than what was in the first half. It, one of his other TDs, it was obvious where you saw one of the safeties ran into Gilmore or else he would have had that play covered as well. Um, next, moving into our okay, I thought the defensive line played all right, and I think they showed up when they needed to, uh, obviously making the big plays there at the end of the game. Um, and like we said, our big-time players making big-time plays. Regardless if they kind of got gashed the whole game, they really stepped up at the end of it when they really, really needed a stop. I uh, also had Pollard. He had another decent game, even though it's not his, you know, past flashy games and whatnot. He's still doing enough to get the job done keeping defenses on their toes with the run game. And then the bad, uh, obviously you're going to throw Bland in there, but my first one is actually our safeties play. I think our safeties play, who I actually predicted was one of the best in the league, has just not been well for us at all. I know in that Bland play, and I think um, Dan Orlovsky broke it down really well, and it is Dan Orlovsky or, or one of the analysts broke it down really well, and it's like why was the defense play on the first one where he hit that 70-yard strike? Yeah. It's like, why would we – it doesn't make any sense why Dan Quinn would call this, so it's got to be a miscommunication. And that allows Deron Bland to kind of take that outside approach moving in because he has safety help over the middle. And you just saw on multiple occasions where safeties were out of, out, of, out of place, not in the right spot, running into our own guys, stuff like that. Second was obviously Bland. He had a tough game. I know he had an interception and made a big play when he needed to, but there were multiple times where he was on the burner – um and whatnot and then i thought mike mccarthy's coaching decisions a couple of them were were brutal not running the ball in that third down i thought was awful um and the reason being is like you run the clock and maybe you get a couple more yards maybe you you know do whatever set yourself up better for a field position but you you at least run 40 seconds off the clock and so i don't really understand that that decision right there and whatnot so um but those are kind of my recaps of the game um, I know I took a lot of points, but I'll let yeah, y'all no. I'll, <laughs> I'll let y'all take it away. Hopefully y'all have something different. Yeah, the analysts, I'll let you follow. I'll just give my uh Jacob did take all the points. Sorry. God. I'll just give my analytical approach to what Jacob just said. I think I think Dak is playing the best football of his career right now. Um he is completely in control of every Every offensive play he he has, I mean, he's got his own cannons now. Everybody's talking about the, you know, the here we go. But, I mean, yeah. he lines up. He's the best third-down quarterback in the league right now. You know, he's running with his legs. He's taking checkdowns. He's taking deep shots. He's, you know, he's, he's playing at a, a confidence level that is so high, but it's backed by his offensive line. His offensive line struggle, you know, we've been saying for a long time at the beginning of the season – 
you know, oh, when are we going to see these, you know, our starting five finally play together? You know, it's been since 2021 or whatever it was. Well, they finally got together and we had some concerns earlier on in the year. They kind of struggled, but they are in full go mode now. I mean, our offensive line, if you watch, they are kicking ass. And that's what that needs to be good. And that's something that you shouldn't take away from a quarterback. You know, it's like that's kind of the conversation we're having earlier with Jalen Hurts. It's like Jalen Hurts' line is playing extremely well and he's struggling. But Dak's offensive line is playing extremely well and he's elevated. That's what you're looking for. So Dak is playing at an extreme high of his career. And then uh, Pollard, man, I've been saying it for weeks, you know, stop running up the center's ass. And they're finally starting to get him on the outside and, you know, get him outside the guards. And he's starting to look again like Pollard, but a great compliment from Rico Dotto as well. Yeah. And then the defense. Uh, I'm, I have my concerns about defense. You know, Hunter's been talking about how this defense has been, you know, we're a defensive-led team. Well, I'd make the argument now we're a Dak-led team on the offense. Like, yeah. We go as Dak goes because you just watched this play, the six and five Seattle Seahawks with there were no punts in the game. Our defense couldn't stop a child. I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I was losing my mind. I, I, it was it was just so bad. But I will give credit to the D line. You know, they played really well. And like Jacob said, but you can tell that because Gino was having to get the ball out extremely fast. And our safeties were just god awful. So that's just my little wrap up. I'll save yeah. whatever's left for Jared. But you know, Dak made the plays that needed to be made, and it's kind of going back to what we were talking about about shatter the script. It's like you want to see him screw up. Okay, well he just led another four minute drive down the field to put us up by two when our defense is giving up thirty five. Oh, and by the way, he's playing so good right now and he's in his shit that when he got up and looked at that defensive lineman and shook his shoulders, I about fucking lost it. I wanted to run through a <laughs> brick wall for him because I was like, you know, that's my fucking quarterback. Like we're out here ready to, we're, go, we're, we're putting this bitch in the end zone. So I don't know. I'm just saying I'm, I'm obviously we're all big Dak guys, but it, it really, I've been telling Jared for like the last couple of days, it's, it just feels so good to finally be like, I've, I've told you this. Like, I've told so many people. I've gone to. I've gotten yelling matches with my friends. Like I've told you this for years that he is a good quarterback, and now he's finally getting his props from Aaron Rodgers, and the media is finally like, yeah, that like even even a Smith Smith is saying yeah. like, look, he's he's the MVP candidate right now, so. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my take on this game. Big game coming, big couple games coming up for Dallas. I don't expect Dak to play that way going forward, just because they're playing better teams. But he, he's balling right now, and you have to give him his flowers. So anyway, yeah, yeah. Jared. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll move on to the Dak on track now. <laughs> um, all right. So one of the things I wanted to talk about specifically, uh, Ryan, you hit on the nail first. I was going to talk about the offensive line. Um, so they're just protecting the quarterback in an outstanding fashion. And you made a great point that he's elevating because of that. Um, I'll tell you who else is elevating. And he took it as absolute disrespect when Richard Sermon said he is an over, overrated and bonaf- not a bonafide number one wide receiver. 
Since then, this is pro JPA football. He has 63 receptions, 824 yards, six receiving touchdowns, and 12.8 yards of perception. An absolute stud performance in the last couple of games from uh, C.D. Lamb there. You know, he's just been an absolute monster. And then one of the things about Dak Prescott and that I wanted to get into once we hit the Dak on track segment is just his PFF grades. Right now he's got the most 20-plus yard completions in the NFL, um, and he's lead the second next closest guy is three or four underneath him with C.J. Stroud. I mean, you want to talk about elevating yourself in the, with a clean pocket, actually playing the position, going through progressions instead of just looking at a one-slant check down RPO. It's left, right. Left no, middle no, check right, back to middle. There's a couple play. There's a play in there, and I wish I had the all 22, you know, gameplay like breakdown of my own on this one because, and Ryan, you would like it too because you would have saw the same shit I saw. Is that there was a play? I think it was the first time he hit Brandon Cooks on a, on an over route against the Seahawks. I believe it was Brandon Cooks. He sits in the pocket. He scans left, scans far right, scans back left. He's got two people at the sticks on third and short that are wide butt fuck open, just sitting there. And instead, he opted to throw 15, 20 yards downfield to get 30 yards because he knew that his offensive line was protecting him. He had time to progress. And even if he sensed a little bit of pressure, he had two dump downs right there ready to go. And that's elite football play. You want to talk about the engine of your offense? Well, there's a lot of components within a pump when it goes into a skid in an industrial refinery and those little parts, nice the more fun. they get, the, the yeah. more they get corroded, the more inefficient the pump actually becomes. Well, right now he's got efficient parts on every part of the pump and he is the engine. He's the water that makes it pump. So I think he is, this is that little industrial distribution uh, metaphor, that was beautiful. There. <laughs> but Dak Prescott is, is the engine. And I, and I'm just, like what Ryan, like what Ryan said earlier, um, and I guess we'll get into it more of the deck on track. But um, he is just playing incredible football. This is the best football of his career, and this is exactly why I call myself the Dak cycle. It's exactly why you keep the faith. Well, I mean, we're it, already in the Dak on track segment, but he's, he's just yeah, balling. basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, just basically, throw the uh, the label down there, and you've got a Dak on track. Um, you know, and, and I'll get the passing chart in here for you guys, you know, while we're talking about him because, you know, he's got a 92.1 PFF grade throughout the year. That's number one in the NFL. Um, it just, it's just been an outstanding performance. Wait till you see the passing chart, um, right here. Here we go. Here we go. There we go. All right. Yeah. This doesn't look like the right one either. No, it is the right one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry, because last week they didn't have it. So, um, or the week the week I did it by myself. But yeah, there you go, green dots all around, um, all over the middle of the field, hitting that left side. I think a lot of those completions to the left were, um, you know, your slant routes and um, not not too much behind the line of scrimmage. But this is just an efficient ball game. Um, now people ask the question: Did Geno Smith outperform Dak Prescott in this game? I was talking about it with the kid earlier and we said that we thought geno smith played way past his expectations and which caused him to have a quote-unquote better game because we expected Dak to play um to this categories categorization of elite play so uh this was expected of him so this is what we all knew was gonna 
I guess not happen, but you know, we're not surprised. So the medical guy, I'll let you go last on this one. The analyst, <laughs> you'll go next um, and you'll give your letter grade, your analysis, and then we'll circle it back to me and we'll, I'll move it on to the Rooks looks. All right. Well, I got, I got an A. Um, I would say A plus if you had a couple more completions, but I mean, in a game that we were just talking about where the defense is supposed to do something for you, there's no punts, just crazy amount of penalties, just a typical weird Dallas game that only happens to Dallas. It's just like you never see a game like that and for another team. It's just it's always Dallas that has these weird games where you feel like you're going to lose your mind with the full of anxiety. But he, he came out and he balled. And then when it mattered the most, your defense came up. But he he was the reason we won this game, plain and simple. So, you know, there's nothing more you can say about that. We've already talked all about it. But he just – he came out and he said, you know what, we're going to go win this freaking ball game. I don't care if I don't have a defense. I'm going to go score 41. And that's what we did. So yep. yeah. the other point of that is, you know, we've been – we were saying earlier in the season – that we want to see the offense open up. And that's what they've been doing for the last couple of weeks is they've been putting it in full throttle and they've been doing everything we've talked about. And Dak, like we've said, has elevated that to, to the next level by adding, you know, Cooks into the mix, getting Lamb 14 targets, Ferguson coming up on big third downs. Like they're they're he's getting his playmakers the ball, and that's what matters the most here. I totally forgot to talk about him. Um uh, the medical guy. I'll I'll touch on him when we get back. Pause. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, I'll keep mine short and sweet. Um, I have him as an A to A plus. Um, like y'all said, he last few games, and even even the one loss against Philly. I mean, he he's basically geared up and said like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever I can to win this game," and he's performed the way that he's needed to. Um, and I think this was. One of those games where I guess if you want to touch on shattering the script, you know, not everything went, you know, we weren't up by three scores. We weren't up by all of this. We were down at halftime. Defense wasn't playing as well as it should. And it didn't face Dak or the offense. And so that's why I give him an A and let's hope he keeps this thing rolling. Yeah. Yeah. And my grade is an A as well. Um, you know, the biggest reason for that is just his ability to navigate the pocket in this one. We, like you said, the shadow of the script, you know, was that this offense couldn't play from behind. Well, whoop-dee-dah, we can play from behind. It doesn't matter what what team it can be. There are some unachievable outcomes, but, you know, this offense works best when Lamb gets 10-plus targets and Cooks gets involved in number two. Where this offense really excels is when you get baby Kelsey heavily involved. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is a guy that um, I want to congratulate. Everybody should pat themselves on the back for this one. In fact, the kid in the in the living room right now should pat himself on the back because he was the first one that said this, along with me, when we were grinding over the summer with our $20 mics and headsets, <laughs> saying that in May of this year that Jake Ferguson was going to be the next big thing. And then in August saying that he's going to be the next Kelsey. And then throughout the season saying that he's going to be able to bring down the tight end or the, the safety and become an absolute kickstart nitrous to this engine of an offense um this controlled chaos so yeah i want to speak a little praise on jake ferguson and make sure baby kelsey's yeah. name 
is heard. And, and uh, lastly, I said we spoke, um, you know, about Dak Prescott navig- navigating this pocket, doing what he's supposed to do. He did an outstanding job of it. And this is hopefully he continues as we start the real gauntlet coming up. So, yeah, letter A for grade. Um, yep. Let's get to the Rooks looks real fast. Um, and then we'll move on into the heat of the week and our predictions for the Dallas Cowboys versus uh, the Philadelphia Eagles game. Um, start off, I actually did a, had a pretty good week last week, but I'll just run through it. Uh, here's your recap from week 13 NFL stardom sit em. Um, I told everybody to start Tony Pollard. This is Dallas running back versus Seattle on Thursday Night Football. He got 17.30 PPR points, 20 carries, 68 yards, one touchdown, three receptions, 15 yards. All around great performance from Tony Pollard there. I told everybody to start Cortland Sutton based on his touchdowns alone. This is the Denver Broncos wide receiver versus Houston in a must-win game. He had 15.7 PPR points, literally did exactly what I said, two receptions, 77 yards, one touchdown. His touchdown was a saving grace. Um, he is touchdown dependent, but he's also scoring touchdowns. Um, I told everybody to sit Drake London, Atlanta wide receiver versus a, a, an amazing Jets secondary. Uh, he ended up getting 1.80 PPR points, Jeez. one out of five receptions, eight yards. Um, I told everybody to sit Joe Mixon. This is the one I was really wrong about, and I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but the Cincinnati running back versus Jacksonville, I thought from last week that he would be force fed, um, and he wasn't. So I figured the same thing would happen this week. Um, wasn't the case. 29.70 PPR points, uh, 19 carries, 68 yards, two touchdowns, six receptions, 49 yards, a 30-point performance from Joe Mixon. And then my sleeper of the week was Zach Moss, the Indianapolis running back replacing Jonathan Taylor versus Tennessee Titans. Now, he had the volume to do some great things here. He just didn't get the numbers. He had 19 carries for 51 yards and two catches for six yards, 7.70 PPR points, which moves me into my week 14 stardom sit predictions um so yeah three out of two on that previous week so let's see if we can repeat um and get five out of five start rashi rice kansas city wide receiver versus buffalo i know i mentioned some number one issues uh earlier on the pod but i also mentioned that rashi rice is having a a good rookie season um expect a shootout rice has been heavily involved since week six and his snap percentage has been increasing um start Taysom hill the new orleans tight end this is a that could have been my sleeper but i think he's a must start um, you can see a decent quarterback workload this week with Derek Carr being out and the offense will be have a large offense. If you're smart, Dennis Allen, you'll give um, white Debo the ball and your offensive focus will go to him because your offense is injured. Um, so spectation Hill to get a pretty good workload all across the field on Sunday and then sit DK Metcalf, Seattle wide receiver versus the 49ers. Uh, let the choppers saying. Uh, this dude was locked up versus Tardavious Ward the last time they played. This is a dominating San Francisco defense, and it will be a focal point in the film room for San Francisco after a 40-point performance from DK Metcalf versus the Cowboys. So best believe he's going to have a safety over the top. Um, sit Calvin Ridley, Jacksonville, Jacksonville wide receiver versus Cleveland. Unfor- I think a lot of people are going to do this anyway, but unfortunately Trevor Lawrence was diagnosed with a high ankle sprain, as that guy mentioned earlier. So inconsistent production goes to – very inconsistent production um, and versus the top three defense in Cleveland. Your sleeper of the week is actually going to be a longtime friend. Um, you know, I, almost, I want to think of a name like Ben Kenobi for him. Joe Placco. Oh. Um, <laughs> close. Um, it's not the same skin complexion. Uh, Zeke Elliott, uh, wow. New England running back versus Pittsburgh on, on Thursday Night Football. This dude – 
he could have a he could have a coming back game. You know, you never know. He has he's been great in the passing game when he gets involved. He's averaging like four point five yards per carry or so, somewhere within that range, on a shitty team. Um, just expect maybe more than ten points is what I'm expecting here. You know, Ramondre's out with an injury. Um, backup QB and Mitchell Trubisky for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He could have a lot of opportunities to get the ball. And then, of course, you're waiting of the for week. you to do the Obi Wan. Obi Wan, that's a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Obi Wan, <laughs> that is a name I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, yeah, so my the- my heave of the week. I was afraid that uh, um, the analyst was going to use it, but it's from the same game. Um, and this is look, everybody's poaching from everybody on Twitter. Like, look, they get in this video from NFL. So if I get some type of like, uh, like a warning, it cracks me up because everybody is stealing everybody's shit. Yeah, it's the internet. You can post these videos. Why would they give you the feature if you anyway? Um, yeah. So here's our heave of the week. This is Tua Tagovailoa to Tyreek Hill. Um, so here we Give's go. Let's play, by play. Play, by play. Play, by play. play by play. Play by play. Do the roar. Do the roar. Bunch receiver set right here. Motion to the right side. We have a blitz incoming to a CZ. He's going to hike the ball. 17 to 7 ball game here. Shuffles left. And he stout ball throws it deep right side. And a little midget boy, number 10, Tyreek Hill, (laughs) the future CTE user. And Tyreek Hill, will he break the record? We could see it on a major program network like CBS this year on Christmas Eve uh, versus the Cowboys. But that is your heat of the week to attack of Aloha do Tyreek Hill. Um, and that wraps up your Rooks looks. And we'll move on into the Dallas Cowboys versus the Philadelphia Eagles predictions, which I'll hand over to the analyst to pass over to the medical. Back, back to me. There we go. All right. We'll move, I'll move through this pretty quick. Keys to success. Uh, Keith Pollard and Cook's hot. You know, I said earlier they've been yeah. – They've been rocking and rolling on offense. Keep keep those guys that have been your catalyst to a good good offense going. Obviously, feed C.D. Lamb as many times as possible. They've been doing that, and then keep Dak mobile and not sitting in the pocket all day. Even though the linemen have been excellent. Now for the defense, do not let Bland get embarrassed like that again. <laughs> not not really his fault but the safeties need to step up big time. It has been absolutely embarrassing. And then read your keys and play as a unit. You know, RPOs tend to get Dallas because they get out of alignment, and that's what happened during the previous game. Um, So if Dallas can read their keys, just play, you know, as a team on defense, I think they have a good chance of stopping the Eagles at home. So that's my keys to success. And then um, I think both teams are going to be really hungry for this game. I think – Dallas knows the importance of this game, and so does Philadelphia. Philadelphia just got embarrassed on live TV in front of everybody with against the 49ers. But the Cowboys have been so good at home. They've been just the best, I think, the best team at home in the NFL. Um, so I'm going to take Dallas in this game, and I think I'm going to take them heavily, 31-17. Um, and 17. Okay. Dallas. Oh, heavily. Okay. Nice. I love the confidence there. Love the confidence, BG. Uh, <laughs> they are medical guy. <laughs> I understood that quote, Jared. That was a good one. Uh, but very, very similar to to Ryan. Um, I have, <laughs> I have continued to cook 
you know, play on words, continue to get the ball at uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, it seems to be just a difference maker in this offense. Um, and that, that's really all it is on offense for me. Um, and then defense, I have contain hurts like we've talked about. Obviously, you want to pressure hurts and do whatever you need to do there. But it showed in this last game, kind of containing him, make him move to one side of the field or the other, kind of get him off his looks and his keys and whatnot. He seems to struggle. Um, obviously, don't get into the tush-push situations because always works out for Philly. And then uh, maybe, I don't know, this is my big number right here is I think if Dallas can get three stops, I think we – on defense, I think we win this game. Um, if they if they yeah. can get at least three stops on defense, I think it will work out well for us, especially with how this offense is moving. Um, and my prediction for the score is similar to Ryan. I have 31, Dallas, 20, Philadelphia. Wow, I got some big spreads for this game for the for the Cowboys. I love the confidence. Um, yeah, so my keys to success for this game, um, we'll start off with a little bit of defensive stuff. You know, minimize the outside threats and drastically, we need to drastically be able to solve these secondary issues that from the Seattle game. I think that was kind of a game that got away from us a little bit in the secondary. I don't think that's how we're going to play the whole year. Um, but yeah, pressure the quarterback in the interior. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a lot of pressure generated from Lane Johnson um, on the right side. And best believe they're going to be making Michael Parsons look wrong as much as they can all night long with their RPOs. But I think Mark Parsons has learned and he'll um, he'll overcome those challenges in this game. Attack the secondary on offense, in my opinion. Um, I would think the best way to do this is through intermediate, intermediate passes. We found our identity and that is to get Brandon Cooks um, involved in man-to-man crossers, comeback routes, um, you know, man-to-man drag routes underneath the middle, and then C.D. Lamb, however you can get the ball to him, do it. And then, you know, the biggest thing that I think will separate the, the Cowboys, like y'all have in the y'all's predictions in this game, is that if we use Ferguson a lot. Um, the, the, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have done a very bad job at covering tight ends all year long. I don't think uh, Darius Shaq Leonard – elevates those um, those efforts at all. Uh, Ferguson had a fantastic game versus the Philadelphia Eagles uh, last time on Sunday Night Football, um, and I'm expecting an even bigger game this time. I think he's really found his groove, and Dak and Jake seem to um, really trust one another. So, yeah, my prediction is a little bit closer to what y'all got. I've got 33-28 to 28 Dallas Cowboys in this one. And then we'll move on quickly uh, or shortly – I would say quickly, quickly. This is one of my favorite um, segments. But the Mama's Don't Let You Cowboys. Um, my Mama's Don't Let You Cowboys is Mama's Don't Let You Cowboys validate the narrative that we can't win the big game. Um, long shot for first place in NFC East, but do our jobs, go want to know, and defeat the gauntlet. Um, the analyst? Yeah, mine's Mama's Don't Let Your Cowboys defense disappoint. You know, they've struggled in a lot of games um, against – Pretty good teams. I think if we want this defense to be legitimate, they need to come out against the Eagles and really show that they at home they can defend their their turf. So, Mama's only your Cowboys disappoint. Defense disappoint. Yep. And I've got Mama's don't let your Cowboys lose this momentum. Uh, we've been kind of on a high these uh, last I don't know five to six weeks. Defense has been good. I mean, uh, offense has been good. Defense has been okay. Um, just keep this up, you know, keep playing well, um, honestly, regardless of the results, but keep this momentum up, 
you know, carry it into the rest of this gauntlet. And like you said, go one and zero this week and then focus on the short term goal. There we go. All right. And that wraps up the tracking the boys segment. We'll move on to the breakdown. And actually, I'm sorry, right before that, we'll get into the kids picks and then we'll go into the breakdown. So here we go. Um, got a couple of there might they might change some of them might stay some of them might go that's why i put it on the story for you guys to see first but i'll go through this rapidly this is from the kid himself uh mike evans over 67 and a half perception yards that's tampa bay wide receiver jalen waddle over 66 and a half perception yards from the miami dolphins brandon cooks with the dallas cowboys over 45 and a half perception yards and another dallas cowboy prop cd lamb over 89 and a half perception yards uh, Travis Kelsey, back-to-back tight ends here. Travis Kelsey over 74 and a half reception yards, and George Kittle over 48 and a half reception yards. Um, so all overs right there, all receiving yards, all receptors. You could say um, he, he, he must think that Dak's going to come out slinging if he's going to go 45 and a half over on Brandon Cooks and CD Lamb 89. He wouldn't. He would never tell you that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's go. Let's give one. We want to talk about our coaches of the year and who are the who is the MVP favorite to kind of slow this, uh, close this one out before you know, of course, our track records. But if you could pick one coach, medical guy, if you could pick one coach this year that you think should win NFL Coach of the Year, who would you pick? And I, I have three on mine. Yeah, uh, I just didn't want somebody else's to be taken, so I kind of like. So anyway, you feel yeah. free to say whoever you think is most deserving. Yeah, I have four, but this is kind of someone I've talked about for a while now. But I think D'Amico Ryan, uh, and I think mm-hmm. it's going to be especially if if they make the playoffs, it's going to be a shoe in, especially compared to how that team was last year, and just seeing the just absolute drastic just change in this year. Um, so I've got D'Amico Ryan as my coach of the year. There you go. All right, I like that one a lot. Seventy-five. You know, unfortunately, Trevor Lawrence injury. You know, you never know what's going to happen when that division, um, the analyst. Yeah, so I've got an AFC and an NFC coach of the year. Uh, AFC is D'Amico Ryans. I think we – I mean, that, like Jacob just said, if they get in the playoffs, which it's really looking like they are, that's a shoe-in. But my NFC coach of the year, I think you got to give it to Dan Campbell. Um, Nobody – the Lions haven't been good in a long time. And the Lions are nine and three. When they make the playoffs, I think NFC wise, he's been the most surprising coach in the yeah. NFC. No, I mean, like we all knew Dallas, Philly, and the Niners would be good, but you know, nobody the Lions everybody thought the Lions would be good, but not this good where they're nine and three sitting there, right, you know, competing. I mean, you you could obviously make the argument that Dallas, Philly, and Niners are better, but you know, yeah. They're but they're nine and three. Yeah, yeah they I mean yeah, they yeah. they look like a solid football team. So my AFC yeah. pick is D'Amico Ryan's. My NFC pick is Dan Campbell. Nice, nice. All right, I have two that I don't think will win it, but are they most are they the most deserving? They could definitely be. Um, and y'all are probably gonna be shocked. But um, the first one is from the NFC, and that's Matt Lafleur, the Green Bay Packers. You know. Having coming out here with Jordan Love, your third year rookie, essentially starting off a year like one and four, and now you're back in playoff contention, uh, contention in contention for the sixth and seventh seed to make the playoffs. Um, I think that speaks a lot about Jordan Love's growth and Matt Lafleur's growth as a, as a coach in his third or fourth year with a bunch of young talent around him. 
There's not a lot of veteran presence in there. They lost it all when Aaron Rodgers went to the New York Jets. Even on defense, you got a very, very young roster. It's just young all the way around. You, you, don't, you don't have David Bakhtiari protecting um, Jordan Love. And you're sitting there six and six with a uh, – you can see the forest for the trees for getting in the playoffs. The second one, and this one really opened my eyes yesterday, was Shane Steichen, the Indianapolis Colts uh, coach. Seven and five with Gardner Minshew and a bunch of scraps on defense. Uh, I know it's a weak division, but, you know, you go out there with Gardner Minshew, who is a serviceable backup, and you lose your starting quarterback um, in Anthony Richardson, and you lose your running back twice and have all the fiasco, and your owner is trying to buy a whale and ship it off in a Connex, <laughs> you know, and then fighting sexual, whatever it is that he's going against. And you're seven and five sitting there in your first year with all these adversities. There is going to yeah. be, I'm selling. Or I'm buying the Indianapolis Colts high at hell next year once they get Anthony Richardson back with JT Pittman and uh, Josh Downs. So those are my two. Um, yeah. If uh, if I had to give a second one, my NFC one. Yeah. Um, and this might be a hot take, and it might sound like a homer pick, but I would pick Mike McCarthy. Um, if yeah. you look in it, and I know uh, that caught the analysts. I saw him whip his head up real quick. Um, but if you look at it, what who's one coach that has been on the hot seat every year he's been here? Mike McCarthy, yeah. who is on pace to, you know, have what his third possible 12 or double digit win season since he's been here. You know, who has to deal with the most influ- influential and hands on owner in the league? Mike McCarthy, who got rid of a play caller who had a number one offense in the league and has seen, got so much criticism for that from some people and said, I'm going to take over play calling. I'm going to do this. Got in another guy. And it literally sits there and has reports come out every day about, well, if he doesn't win in the playoffs, his defensive coordinator is going to be, it's like, (laughs) you have all that stuff that's just sitting there on this guy. And it's like, he still goes out there, has a top notch offense. The offense wasn't playing well. I said, "At this concept, we're throwing it out. Dak, you got the offense. Let's roll with it. Offense is back to number one and playing as best as we've seen in a while. And, you know, it just seems like, yes, there's some mismanagement, but all coaches mismanage certain situations every now and then. But I, I could honestly see if he goes into the playoffs in another 12 and five year and does well in the playoffs and, and continues to have a good offense and everything. I could honestly put him up for for coach of the year. Yeah, especially if he succeeds in this gauntlet. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a fair argument. That, that definitely caught me off guard, but that is a fair argument. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So MVP favorites, um, and I've got a, a stat thing I'm going to run through very quickly. Um, actually, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll do it first, and then I'll let the analysts follow. Um, but here we go. I've got. If Dallas beats Philadelphia, I think it's Dak Prescott. At the end of the season, I think it'll be somebody else. I think it'll probably be like Jalen Hurts. He's got a very cherry-coated season. But like I said, if if Dallas beats Philadelphia and does well in the gauntlet, it's Dak Prescott. The most deserving, I would say your most valuable players are Christian McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill. If you're talking about most valuable on your team, Christian McCaffrey – or Tyreek Hill. That was compl- they lost three games when they didn't have a CMC. They 
would probably not be a top tier offense without Tyreek Hill, you know, in, in Miami. Um, and then here's my reason, my case for Dak Prescott. This is, I guess you can take this out of suits. You call me the Mike Ross here defending Dak Prescott, but Dak Prescott on third down here in 2023, he's taking his third down um, numbers to a new level. Uh, average a jaw dropping 0.553 adjusted EPA per play. Uh, if you don't know what EPA is, that measures the difference between a team's expected points before the snap and after the play ends. It's a number. His number, the .553, is a number that is 0.25 more than the number two quarterback this season and output better than any quarterback has achieved in the last six seasons. This isn't the, the season something like this was supposed to happen. Um, he's completed 72.8% of his passes on third down, 9.6 yards per attempt. And then I have the stat muse here um, where he has a pass. Pass rating of 117.2, 985 yards, seven touchdowns, and two interceptions in 12 games on third down alone, Sheesh. which is insane. Um, compared to the other wild third down king, yeah, yeah. Compared to the other quarterbacks, Brock Purdy, who they just said is the favorite, 62.5% on third down, 7.9 yards per attempt, 98.6 rating. Yeah, that's that's pretty close, but it's nowhere near Dax. And then you got Jalen Hurts, who's the closest. Um, with 71.9%, 9.2 yards per attempt, 104.9 rating. Still not as good as Dak. Dak is the third down king, and he is the reason why he's the engine of the offense and why I have him as the MVP, MVP favorite if they win the gauntlet. Uh, the analyst, sorry. <laughs> Go yeah, uh, I just have yes. oh. that it's really between three guys, and it's kind of falling off what Jared said. You know, you got Dak, Brock Purdy. For some reason, it's Jalen Hurts. But it's because everybody looks at the MVP race as a quarterback race, and it they you know they factor wins into those those stats. So, like Jared said, if Dak can come out of these next three games, Philly, Lions, and Miami, and win two out of those three games, then I would say that you need to put him up in the conversation for for MVP. Um, yeah. If Brock Purdy comes out and wins. You know, and they get the one seed. I would not be shocked if they pick Brock Purdy because it's the media. But Jared's right. You know, if you're talking real MVP candidacy, and if you go look at the odds, the three people I just named off the odds that came out yesterday, it goes Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy are all three at the same odds. And then you've got Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, Tua, Josh Allen, McCaffrey, Hill, and CJ Stroud all to follow him. So in reality, it should probably be Tyreek Hill because he's having an unbelievable season. Right. But, you know, the way the MVP works, it's going to be between Jalen Hurts, Dak, and Brock. And everything we've said on this podcast, obviously, I'm picking Dak if he wins these next two to three games for the reasons I said earlier. And what Jared's been saying, he is just the absolute engine to this offense. And if we lost him, the Dallas Dallas would not look the same whatsoever. And you could say it, make the argument for Hurts and it too. Yeah. But, you know, just the situation that all three teams are in, it's pretty obvious what's going on for Dallas, and it's pretty obvious what's what's the case for the Niners and the Eagles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the medical guy. Yeah, and so just to follow up what y'all said about Dak, I mean, he's top three in almost all QB stats that are obviously relevant. And even the ones that are, if you're just looking at box score stats, He's top three in all those. Um, I'd love for him to be 
he's going to be my favorite, I guess, uh, to win it. Um, another two, and I know Brian mentioned these as well, but I, I and he's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, and it's got to be C.J. Stroud. And my reasoning by that is he's a rookie, and his team is a three to four win team without him. And so if you're oh, looking yeah. for an absolute like most valuable valuable to his team, it's got to be C.J. Stroud for me. And yeah. like Ryan pointed out earlier, there's been there's been multiple games where like he picks a guy and he's winning with that guy and he's, he's, and it doesn't matter. And that's the thing is like, yes, he has tank Dell and Nico Collins, but nobody would refer to them as like, Oh, they're top five, top 10 wide receivers. Right. And so, I I mean, hell he did it with Noah Brown and Dalton Schultz as well. And so we know the supporting cast he has and how he's doing it and he's still in odds to win it. And so I think if he could continue and still stack in those numbers, I think he's 218 specifically. Um, he's got to be the most valuable player. And then, obviously, Tyreek Hill. And I know I read a stat off that was really confusing before the pod started, but he's leading wide receivers in almost all stats, yards, yards per game, uh, touchdowns, everything like that. Uh, but another interesting stat that I have is that – and this is Tyreek Hill's yards per quarter, Okay. So quarter one, he averages 40.9. Quarter two, he averages 38. Quarter three, he averages 37.2 yards. Quarter four, he averages 7.3 yards. And so if you look at that, he's done all this essentially in three quarters per game. And so I just think that just shows an insane amount of value of how, you know, how they're using him in the offense and how we've talked about how how valuable he is is that offense because they can essentially destroy you in three quarters and he doesn't have to play. And you can make the same case for Dak Prescott in, you know, what, four or five games he hasn't played a fourth quarter. Doesn't ever play the fourth quarter. (laughs) And so you can make the same argument to that where Dak could have 31 touchdowns this year right now, Um, where Tyree Kill could have 400 more yards um, and and to his his receiving total. And so those are kind of my three top MVP favorites. Obviously, we see the Vegas odds. We know who's probably going to win it between those three. But those are the ones that have stuck out for me that were kind of included in all the odds. Yep. There we go. I'd agree. All right. Well, let's close it out with our track records of the week. Um, you know, obviously, every week we do this. That's all I got to say. Uh, no. <laughs> all right. So mine, I'm going to start off hot. You know, this is one of the best albums out there for Christmas music. This is the Michael Buble. It's it's a beginning to look a lot like Christmas. When you hear this, you, you feel like there's, you know, uh, Jack Frost nipping at your nose, I should say. Not the other word I was thinking of. But, you know, and there's frosted, you know, there's snowflakes all around and you're in a, a sleigh. You know, you're just in la-la land, basically. And you're like, oh, my God, it is Christmas time. My job doesn't suck. I don't – I do get paid enough. You know, I – get to buy presents for everybody and everything is just holly and jolly. Um, you know, Michael Uble is the catalyst for that. Yeah. I got to send you my, uh, speaking of buying presents, I got to send you my, uh, my presents. Yeah, hurry up, bro. Shipping's not going to get here by the time. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no Ryan, I what you got? Yeah, I'm between two, but I was going to say whipping out all the Christmas albums for, uh, Christmas this, this week. And then looking around, at all the Christmas lights. And then my other track record of the week is uh, I 
took my 300 wind mag to the range because I was a little yeah. nervous about the zero on it. And so I took it out there and first shot, I hit an exact bullseye. So yeah, I did the right thing. I just, you just uploaded after that, get up and left. <laughs> there we go. Nice. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my track record for the week, and it's an actual stat this this time. Um, shout out to your uh, A&M Aggie. Mike Evans um, recorded his 10th straight season of 100 uh, – of ten, his 10th straight season of 1,000 yards receiving. Um, I know a lot of – no one no one ever considers him like a top, you know, 10, top 15 receiver. But if you think of the quarterbacks that he's had in the past outside of Tom Brady – you can, I mean, what do you got, Jameis and and Baker and whoever yeah. was there last year, and he's still able to put up these numbers, um, and especially for it, it, just doesn't feel like he's been in the league that long. And it's like, man, for him to still do this and and for ten ten seasons in a row of a thousand yards, that's that's insane. And I, I think that's a, a a stat that needs to be shouted out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's gonna. Career. Yeah, he's he's on a contract year this year, and I would not be surprised if he ended up on the on the Chiefs or the Texans next year. Ooh. Would not be shocked. Ooh, that'd be tough on the Chiefs, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be good. All right, and that wraps up track twenty-five, um, the rivalry. We've got uh, an excellent game coming up, obviously on Sunday Night Football on NBC and oh Chris Collinsworth. <laughs> oh. Uh well to close this one out you can follow us on all the things below Instagram um track.pod TikTok track.pod x.com the track pod link tree is in all of the bios on track but we want to say this is something I've never said but if you're a first time listener um feel free to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Pod or spotify or youtube like download it give us a rating um we really want to hear you guys feedback especially if you're a first-time listener to all those trackers that have been around this entire year you know we might do a year in review video towards the end um but we want to thank everybody for your support we reached our goal of reaching 200 followers on instagram before the end of the year that's without buying anything that's without really using any marketing tools so thank you guys for the support uh, we all have a blast doing this and maybe soon one day we will be, you know, having our own studio and really rocking and rolling, but we're having so much fun doing this and we're happy that at least even if it isn't 200 million, it's 200 people that are really bought in to shattering the script. So we thank you guys. All right. Merry Christmas. Thank you guys for joining the analyst and medical guy. Always a pleasure. We'll see y'all next Wednesday for another shattered the script episode. Go Cowboys. Go boys.